is the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. What are you talking about? No, it's not him. There is only one more. There is only one more. There is, that's it. One more. Get around. No. They saw your team. Put up zero effort. Wake up. Remember in the old days they used to have oxygen for them. Where's the oxygen? Play like absolute just garbage. <laughs> this is the Sports Loud Mouth. Yay! Man, can you keep it down? I'm trying to introduce here. With Errol Marks and Speedy Speedy. You're not even a has-been. You're never was. You're never was. We are back, ladies and gentlemen. As you know, this is a new show of the Sports Lab Mouths. I'm your host, Daryl Marks, my co-host, Speedy Petey. Remember, you can listen to our show and call our show at 631-672-3108. You can go to our website at www.worldwidesportsradio.com. Download our app on iOS, WWSRN, or Android, Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, I am back. It is not Josh Silverberg. <laughs> it is Errol Marks, and he is back. Yes, I, I was over at, uh, where was I? I was in New so Jersey. You were in New Jersey for something. <laughs> I was in New Jersey at Atlantic City. I was doing an event uh, on Thursday, so I would like to thank Josh Silverberg for filling in and helping me out. Uh, I want to thank all the fans that reached out because they thought I was sick or something. No, I was not sick, so everybody... That was worried about me and worried that I was not there Thursday. Uh, I'm sure you had a doozy with Josh and Speedy talking a lot of baseball. And there's a lot to get into uh, today with baseball as the New York Yankees made a lot of moves. A lot of moves. The Mets made not enough. No. (laughs) And um, the Padres make the biggest. So uh, we will get into that. But before we do that, Speedy, what's going on, man? Had a good weekend. I actually started to see some family that I haven't met before because I'm fourth generation aunts and uncles and cousins actually my grandfather's cousins so it's my fourth generation my dad's second generation got to meet up some of some of them also celebrated my grandmother's 80th birthday it's officially this week on august 8th but got to celebrate that for a little bit and hung out with my cousins well i had a decent weekend it was very very hot had a barbecue barbecue on sunday so i enjoyed that but uh you know always working always doing what i have to do to make myself uh you know, I guess entertained with yeah. uh, the world and what it is around here and around the state of New York. But uh, happy to be back. Uh, at 9.30, we'll be talking to Sports Illustrated Dolphins publisher, Alan Pauper. So he will be joining us. And at 10 o'clock, we'll be talking to former Chargers and Vikings punter Darren Bennett. Definitely going to get into some football and baseball and football again. So... Some interesting stuff. And we'll talk a little hockey with him so because he yeah. is a Florida Panthers guy, too. So, um, We are going to get into Deshaun Watson. Yes, the Watson man uh, suspended for six games. I told everybody he was not going to be suspended for the whole season. I don't know why anybody thought that was going to happen. And, and Deshaun Watson coming out last week uh, saying what he felt, that if he got suspended for the whole season, they will be hearing, the NFL would be hearing, from his lawyer. So that's not going to happen. It's a six-game suspension. So we'll see Deshaun Watson a lot faster than we thought we were going to see uh, this season. Debo Samuel gets a three-year, $71.5 million contract worth. Uh, well, guaranteed worth of $58.5 million. So uh, Debo gets his money. So we'll get into a little bit of that a little bit later in the show. Stephen Ross suspended as Dolphins owner 
for at least one season following Tom Brady and Sean Payton tampering violations. I, listen, we all knew that uh, the owner of the Dolphins has always loved superstars, superstar coaches, superstar players. I am not surprised, not surprised that you're hearing this. Uh, and this isn't the first time we've heard this, by the way. The Yankees might be getting in trouble as well for tampering. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, there's a lot of teams. Uh, the the Knicks are getting in trouble for tampering uh, with the Jalen Brunson situation. So I, I'm not surprised that uh, we're hearing all that. But Yankees trade for Frankie Montez. Uh, also swap Jordan Montgomery center fielder Harrison for for center fielder Harrison Bader uh, from the Cardinals. Very interesting move by the New York Yankees. Uh, we'll get into that in just a few moments. We'll go through the trade deadline and and all this crazy stuff that happened today. Uh, it was definitely crazy, that's for sure. Padres give up six prospects for Juan Soto. Also trade for Josh Hader and Josh Bell. I mean, they made the biggest moves uh, at the trade deadline. They are. That much better and probably going to go up from probably being a sixth or seventh team that possibly would be the favorites of winning the World Series to all the way to 2-1 with the moves that they made. Their lineup is better. Their rotation is is good. And now they have a bullpen, a closer that can absolutely shut down the, uh, the opposition. Uh, Kevin Durant to meet with the Nets ownership today. Could he take back his trade request? I always said that he was. Uh, there was no way that a lot of these teams were going to make the money. Now, the Celtics have the best offer, and I think that would make a lot of sense, but I I don't know if the Celtics want to give up on Jalen Brown. I really don't. So we'll get into that. Recapping the remainder of the MLB trade deadline moves. And that's what we're going to get into first because it seems like it wasn't the Mets making the big splash here in New York at the trade deadline. All the Mets fans... Every one of you that came out and said that the Mets were going to make the biggest moves of the trade deadline, boy, oh, boy, were they wrong. Now, I'm not going to attack Epler because Epler didn't pull the trigger. There was no way they're getting Juan Soto. The Mets were not going to give away six top prospects for Juan Soto like the Padres did. Uh, they weren't going to go after a big, obviously, reliever. Uh, and I, I know a lot of people thought that that's where the Mets were going to go. They were going to fill in. And they, they added some relief uh, relief pitchers. Just nothing that really stood out for the Mets fans to say, whoa, that, that, those guys are definitely going to help that uh, middle relief, the problem the Mets have had all season long. And as far as the lineup is concerned, I expected they had another power bat. And they really did not do that at the trade deadline. Now, you sit here today and you say, are the Mets that much better than they were before the trade down? The answer is they're practically the same. Now, we we look at the Mets and we wonder if the Mets made a move for a power bat, like a Josh Bell, or uh, they put an extra bat in that middle of that lineup to help Pete Alonso, take a little pressure off Pete Alonso, would that have made them stand out at the trade deadline. Now, uh, J.D. Martinez was a guy that me and Jeff were talking about today. They were very interested in. Uh, a lot of people thought that they were going to pull the trigger. He he made a lot of sense uh, for the New York Mets to add in the middle of that lineup. They just couldn't pull the trigger. I, I don't know what uh, the Boston the Boston Red Sox were looking for. Uh, I, 
I was hearing that they were looking for an outfielder, uh, top five prospect for the New York uh, New York Mets. It just didn't work out that way. The Mets were not willing to part ways with uh, one of their top prospects for a JD Martinez. And you sit here and you say, "Well, the, you know, we got Uncle we got Uncle Stevie. He's going to open up his pockets." But Uncle Stevie with trades are not the same as going out in free agents, a free agency. Now. I think if you are a Met fan right now, you'd be disappointed on what the Mets did not do at the trade deadline. Okay, I I, I can't sit here and tell you if if you're if you're a diehard Met fan and you're gonna you're going into the rest of the season. I think you have what uh, probably around sixty some i games left or fifty some i games left, and you're sitting here today and saying, well. All the other teams in the National League that got better, and we'll go into all the other teams that got better, you can sit here and say that the Mets are as good as any of those teams. The Dodgers, they they made some moves today. Not big ones, but they added some pieces. The Cardinals, obviously Jordan Montgomery gets traded from the Yankees. They needed a, they needed a, a pitcher. They needed a guy that can throw. Uh, why not add Jordan Montgomery? He, he's a good arm. I was very surprised that the Yankees were going to part ways with Jordan Montgomery. He's been a very good pitcher for the Yankees, and he has been pretty good in the playoffs. He's probably been the Yankees' best playoff pitcher, really, for the last couple of years. And coming off of Tommy John a couple of years ago, you think that uh, this year was going to be a better year, and it was. It, the, the first half of the season was pretty good, uh, three 3.18 ERA uh, for practically the whole first half of the season. By the way, the Yankees hit back-to-back uh, home runs. I think they tied this game. They were down 6-3. to I think they tied it 6-6, if I'm not mistaken. I don't know what the score of the game is. But uh, Josh Donaldson actually delivers, yep. so it's 6-6. But I, I think that – and, Speedy, you're a Mets fan. Before we get into the Yankees, whoa – what were your thoughts? Uh, did you think the Mets were going to make bigger moves than they did? And and do you think that today you would you really sit here and be very excited about going into the second half and not making the moves like the Padres made today? The Mets needed two things. One, bullpen depth. Two, just left-handed pitching depth in general, whether that was a starter, whether that was a reliever. Because, yes, they're getting guys back, but that doesn't mean that the Mets can't have depth that they could afford to trade. They have enough prospects to be able to make it work, and they didn't do that. I wasn't as worried about the lineup because I think they brought in some good other pieces in that lineup that I think will help. Vogelbach's been a nice player so far. He's gotten on base a lot, and also they got Tyler Naquin. I'm fine with those moves. I think it was all right. The relief pitching is what they needed to do, and they struck out big time in that department, and a lot of the guys that they were targeting didn't get traded at all, so it's not like they lost it out to other teams. I don't know why they weren't more aggressive. Michael Givens was the only thing they got last second and that was really it and he's been a streaky reliever throughout his career pitching well this season but that was really it I'm, I'm, I'm not happy as a Mets fan especially with what the Padres did like you were saying with what the Cardinals did yeah Montgomery's not a, a huge huge move but it helps their pitching depth which is something the Mets could have used too for sure well if you're a Yankee fan you should be very excited at the trade deadline, they even got away. They even got rid of Joey Gallo, uh, a guy that couldn't hit for you know what <laughs> in Yankee Stadium. And and you heard what Joey Gallo said the other day. He said the Yankee fans were treating him like a piece of you know what, you know, out there even playing in the outfield or even hitting at the you know at the plate. So I I think Joey Gallo was very happy to leave New York, but he's going to another place in L.A. The Dodgers, who are expected to win this year as well. 
And uh, they have the second-best record in baseball, right behind the Yankees. Yep. So uh, he's going to not an easy place to play. Might not be as bad as the Yankee fans are as far as I'm concerned with uh, tackling and attacking players that are not doing as well as they should be. But um, Gallo is gone for the Yankees, so you should be happy. The Yankees make a trade with the Cardinals, like I said, for Harrison Bader. Harrison Bader's a good center fielder, a good defensive center fielder. Last year had a better season. I mean, right now he only has five home runs. He's batting two fifty eight or two fifty six. He's not having one of those good years, but guys, he could be a leadoff hitter. You can move him around the the lineup. He can hit for average. We've seen him do that over the last couple of years. He's still fairly young. The Yankees are looking for outfield depth. They they So they added that kind of depth. He, he's not a power bat. So uh, I know a lot of people are saying the Yankees have too much power in the lineup. They need some guys that can hit for average. So Bader's that type of guy, even though he's not having that kind of season. Uh, but but the big move, Speedy, was the the Yankees in the athletics. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, getting Frankie Montez and, and Trevino, that move. And the Yankees gave up, you know, three top-end pitching prospects. And I know Jeff, when he reached out to me, he's, and I, you know, we go back and forth. Jeff likes to argue with me and, and fine, whatever. <laughs> And I'm, I, I don't think I'm always right. I don't. But he always does. And he told me that th- you are wrong. The Yankees give up three of their top four or five uh, baseball prospects, no, pitching prospects. I, I, even though it's on the list that they did, I don't think that those guys were their you know, top pitching prospects just because they're up there on the level of the top 20 of the Yankees' prospects. I don't. Now, Waterchuk, whatever his name is. Uh, Walter Chuck. Walter yep. Chuck. He's their best pitching prospect. And they had to give up something to get a good good pitcher. They needed to. Now, I don't. we don't know what a Chuck is going to be. We, we don't know what he's going to be. Uh, he, he could be. He could come into the league and absolutely light the league on fire. Or he could come into the league like a lot of Yankees. Uh, pitchers uh, over the years that the Yankees have traded away top prospects and never stepped foot on the baseball field. We don't know. And Jeff is right about this. You cannot, you cannot quote yourself on prospects because you don't know what they could do in the major leagues. You can't. You can't. But you sit here today and you look at, you know, a guy like Frankie Montez. That was what the Yankees wanted. They wanted to add another power pitcher, uh, a second stud, an ace that you could put behind Garrett Cole that can help you in, uh, you know, in your rotation in the playoffs. Montez has never pitched in the playoffs, so he's. I think he has never pitched. He might, I, might like pitched two one. starts, I think. I think he pitched that, once yeah. or, or something. But I'm talking about a big start where he's pitching where where you have a chance to win a World Series. He's never no. been in. In, in that predicament with the New York Yankees. So uh, that's a lot of pressure on him. And we've seen a lot of pitches come here that didn't work out from the Oakland Athletics, a.k.a. Sonny Gray. But he is not Sonny Gray, ladies and gentlemen. He is not. He's a power pitcher. He strikes out a lot of pitcher, uh, players. And, and, and that's what the Yankees like. They like power pitchers, guys that can get in and get, in and get out of innings. And, and that's what they're going to need him to do uh, moving forward for this rotation. Now, does that make the Yankees the favorites? Still, I don't know. I would have rather Castilla, and I think a lot of Yankee fans would probably say that, but what the Cincinnati Reds wanted from the Yankees, I don't think the Yankees were willing to give up. And the Yankees did not give away any of their top four 
top-end prospects like Dominguez or Pariza or, or, or Volpe or any of those guys that we've been talking about or guys that could be and major league ready in the next year or so. So they didn't give up any of those guys. Wells, too, a guy that they really, really like. So I, I, I think if you're a Yankee fan today, you should be very happy. And then they added a, another relief pitcher in Scott, uh, what was it, Alos? Or whatever. Yeah. Uh, so a guy that comes from the Cubs, he's pitched very well this year. He pitched obviously better this year than he did last year. He's a side-on pitcher. He's a guy that you could put into your relief, uh, you know, in the sixth or seventh inning. You did lose King, so you added Trevino. You add, you add him. Loisica's coming back. Or he's been back and forth this year. Chapman just came back. So, I mean, they're not as good as King and what King has done this year. He's been one of the best relief pitchers in baseball. But it still gives you more depth in that rotation of your bullpen. So, I think if you're a Yankee fan, what I would grade the Yankees going into the second half with these trades, I would grade them an A minus. I think they did exactly what they needed to do to compete with uh, all the other teams that are going to probably probably we're going to get better at the trade deadline. So I would say the Yankees were one of the top three teams that won this year's trade deadline. The two things they prioritized with these two pitchers, Montez and the rotation, and also uh, with the bullpen with Efros, is strikeouts. It's a lot different than Sonny Gray. I know people are making this lazy argument that it's gonna, not going to work because it's an ex-Oakland reliever or an ex-Oakland starter. It, Sonny Gray was a, not a heavy strikeout guy, wasn't a heavy velocity guy, and Montez had two two over two more strikeouts per nine innings in his last five years than Sonny Gray when he first came to the Yankees. Even though Sonny Gray, Gray's probably had more dominant seasons like his peak years in terms of ERA, it didn't fit in Yankee Stadium. And I knew that at the time right away with those, not only Yankee Stadium, but those AL East band boxes. And same kind of thing with Efros. He's a 2.66 ERA this year, 50 strikeouts, which is a 10 uh, 0.2 strikeouts per nine innings, having a nice rookie year for the Cubs. Now, obviously, relief pitchers can be fluky, but the Yankees didn't give, give up much in that either. So. And they have control of him for the next five years. Right. And for a relief pitcher, that it, yes, he's a little bit older for a rookie, like a young guy. I, I mean, he's 28 years old, going to be 20. He's still a guy that you can you have control of. Right. And you can put him in your rotation next year with King, with Schmidt, with the guys, the young pitchers that you have. I mean, the Yankees already have the best bullpen in baseball. They just got better. Yeah. Now, I'm not going to say that the, I'm not going to say Brian Cashman absolutely fleeced the athletics. I think it was a fair trade both ways. Waldachuk, uh, Sears, Medina. He won both. that trade. I would say they won the trade, yes. Waldachuk, Sears, Medina, like they're all good prospects, but like you were saying, they didn't have to give up any top three guys. And that was a big deal. They just gave up more in quantity. The athletics are going for depth. Waldachuk was the best lefty in the Yankees system, but that was really it. Sears has pitched a little this year. So I think it was a fair trade, but it definitely one the Yankees have to make, especially now trading Montgomery. They definitely committed to re-signing, maybe re-signing Montez later as well. Uh, by the way, we have a, a one disgruntled Mets fan who's trying to call the show as well. Who's that, Josh? Oh, yeah. What's up, Josh? Gentlemen, how are you? First mm. off, uh, thank you again for letting me on the show. Last week, it was awesome. Had a great time. Thank you. I don't know if Speedy told you I got a hero's welcome <laughs> yes. when I was on it. Sure. I had a massive following. It was crazy. Mm. People from the past even tuned in. Mm. Wild. Mm-hmm. Uh, in regards to the Mets, I am, of course, disappointed. Very disappointed. They got Michael Givens, and that's it. Um, to me, they, they could have used, obviously, another bullpen arm. We know that. Everybody can use it. Bullpens are key. Even though DeGrom came back, and I know May's coming back, and they're going to use McGill out of the bullpen, it still would have been nice to have gotten in another bullpen piece. And, of course, I see uh, I see uh, Steven Nagos suck. Yeah. Uh, 
pitch tonight. It was great to watch that. I went outside and I had my fire pit on in my backyard outside. I had enough. That was a Danny to watch. Now, the thing is, and I know you guys were talking about this. Uh, first off, kudos to the Yankees. They had a great trade deadline. They had an unbelievable trade deadline, getting Montas, getting the relievers, two of them. I believe they got two of them. The Montgomery move shakes my head a little bit. I didn't understand it quite much, especially because Bader hasn't played in so long. Mm-hmm. But I mean, we'll see how it goes. The thing of it is with the Mets is I saw what the Red Sox were asking for from J.D. Martinez. They wanted major league-ready players for him. Mm. And I don't understand where the Red Sox – a guy that's had back spasm issues all season, a guy that actually has been slumping the last month and a half, if you look at the numbers, and has only nine home runs this year. And Kyle Bloom said, no, we want to have major league-ready players. So were they asking the Mets for Ronnie Mauricio or Mark Vientos? Because the Mets were, they were not going to trade them for J.D. Martinez. I heard Vientos was part of what the Red Sox wanted. Yeah, and that's the thing. If they did that, that would have been stupid. Yes. Let's call it like it is. It would have been horrible. So you can't fault the Mets on that. Now, I don't know what the Cubs were asking for for Contreras. And look, the Cubs wound up not even trading him or you. Know, you want to know a team that really did bad to trade that line? The Chicago Cubs did really bad to trade that line. Because mm. now they're going to let happen Contreras both walk as free agents, and, and they're going to get nothing back for them. Great, they get, a, they get a draft pick for them. That's wonderful. But I think, if you're, I, I think it's, a, it's a disservice to a team that's trying to rebuild to not trade guys when they have value and get something back for them. Regardless of the price, you want to get something back. Um, and I know that the Mets got rough today from the Giants. Actually, rough is on a he listen, is he a great player? No. Call it like it is. He's not, but he does he he hits left-handed pitching very well this year. And Vogelback hits right-handed pitching very well. So that's what the DH split is going to be. And I think that's something that we have to realize that, that it is what it is. I think. Am I upset? Am I annoyed? Of course. They absolutely could have done more. But then you, like, look at what the, once the Padres traded uh, their sixth overall prospect for Brandon Drury, I knew it was over. It was over. Because Brandon Drury is not worth the sixth overall prospect from the Padres. Mm -hmm. Let's, Let's call it like it is. Once that move happened, I said, it's done, it's over. They're not getting anybody. The Padres completely screwed up the market. Mm-hmm. when the sixth overall prospect is getting traded for Brandon freaking Drury. And why is Brandon Drury having a good year? Because he's playing in a band box in Cincinnati. Let's see how well he does in San Diego. That pissed me off very much so when that happened, because I said, that's it. They're not going to get anybody now. Because if Brandon Drury's costing the sixth overall prospect, what's Wilson Contreras going to cost? Mm. What's he gonna, he, 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 what are they going to ask for, Brett Beatty? They're going to ask for Ronnie Murray. I mean, come on. And then the guy's going to leave in two months as a catcher. And then the Mets traded more of their farm system again. And I know, and I get what you're saying is, and I always say this, prospects are just paper, mm. but you have to be diligent with the decision-making that you're doing. Mm. What the Padres did, listen, the Padres, <laughs> Aaron, you and I talked about this on the phone. Yep. We knew the Padres, they gave up a lot to get Soto. <laughs> they did. And uh, they gave up a lot. They gave a lot. And kudos to them. Congratulations. They did great. Mm-hmm. But the thing of it is, then they went nuts and they traded their sixth overall prospect for Brandon Drury. I mean, that doesn't that, that screwed up the whole market when that happened at two o'clock. I think that was it. I, I think when when you look at what the Padres did with Bader, I mean, 
Uh, and and, and with what they have done, I mean, I'm sorry, not Peter, Hater, and and what they did yesterday. He's and been then, struggling, by the way. By the, just you, he's been not good the last month. He's on my fantasy. And they traded, and they traded their closer for Hater. So so they the Padres yeah. lost all, a closer to add a closer. Now Hater is still better, and he's one of the better closers in the league. And they they definitely gave them a little bit more uh, of a bolster in that bullpen, but also. They added a guy like Soto. Now, Juan Soto is one of the better players in the league. Now, they're going to have to give him a $500 million contract. They're going to have to get they're that done. They're not going to be able to. They're, they're going to have to. Uh, I mean, they they're give up a lot. They're, they're paying Tatis. They're paying Machado. They just paid Musgrove. You, 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 it's not going to happen. I said the same thing, and me and me and Jeff were going back and forth on the phone. He says, "Who do they pay? Who are they paying?" And I said, "Um, they are paying Machado, Tatis, just those guys. You're paying over six hundred million dollars. They're not going to be able to afford it. They're not going to be able to afford it. No team in their right mind could afford that payroll. You on three players, and they had, I believe it was the second or third best farm system in baseball. Mm -hmm. It's got to be in the bottom, bottom, bottom of the barrel now." I mean, it has to be. They're trying to now, win. Listen, They're trying to win now. That's great and and good for them. Listen, let me tell you something. The, the the Padres have been embarrassed enough, specifically by the Los Angeles Dodgers, the last couple of years, right? Where they basically that's another team that didn't do anything either. I thought the Dodgers would have responded with mm-hmm. that move. They didn't do anything. But the, but the, but the thing of it is, is that Contreras wasn't traded. Hap wasn't traded. Mm-hmm. Martinez wasn't traded. Mm-hmm. So we don't know what these teams were. I mean, when I hear that Kind Blue wants multiple major league pros, like ready major league prospects for JD Martinez, mm. I mean, what what is he thinking that he's going to get? Mm. He's not going to get anywhere close to that return. He did a disservice to the Red Sox today. The Red Sox aren't winning the World Series. Well, well, I also I think they the Red Sox like Hosmer. I was very surprised because I told Jeff uh, there was a story <laughs> that. That, that, Thank there God was Hosmer a got traded. there was a story that <laughs> there was a story that came out from the Padres that they told Hosmer they weren't moving him and that they were going to hold on to him and then all of a sudden Jeff and me were talking he says we've we've heard that before and they usually there he's the first one out and he he was the and he went to his Red Sox so I, I mean I don't know if Jeff's happy or excited about that but I would not be excited about it Hosmer's finished at this point let's call well, it like hold it on, well, hold, they, well hold they, on one they, second they they're not paying his contract the the Padres are paying fine. most. Of the contract, he's not, no, that's fine. But he's not a good player. That's the, he's not. A, he's yeah, not but a the Red Sox don't have many other good first base options right now. I get that, but let, let's let, let's look at it like this: the Padres had to trade Eric Hosmer today because Eric Hosmer almost single handedly almost cost the Padres from getting Juan Soto. Okay, mm. if Eric Hosmer stayed in San Diego, the guy wouldn't have been able to survive in San Diego. That that they didn't have a choice but to move him. He and then the guy I feel bad the most for is Luke Voigt. Luke Voigt's probably thinking, no, this this SOB said no. Now I got to get traded to the Nationals? Mm. Are you kidding me? You know what I'm saying? Now I'm the one that gets screwed? There was no chance Eric Hosmer was going to be able to stay in San Diego, especially if he rejected that, that deal, which he did, and the Padres traded somebody else, but they kept Hosmer. It was never going to work. Mm. It was never going to work with the fans. As if, I mean, they have, I'm sure they have a nice fan following. It always seems like their fans get their ass kicked by Dodger fans online. That's what I always read. But I watch. But, I mean, besides that, it, 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 to, to me – I think the Mets didn't do enough today. The Dodgers didn't do enough today. And I think a team that needs to get more criticism is the Cubs. Yeah. I think the Cubs did a massive disservice to their organization today. Because now Hap and Contreras, Wilson Contreras is, has the best numbers of any catcher in baseball this year. Mm. 
and, and he's now going to walk for nothing. Well, they, great, if the Mets, gonna, if, if, the, wonderful. if the Mets want him and in the off season, they'll have a chance to go yeah, after him. I mean, the only way the, the Mets are going to have Alvarez on this team. Next year. I, that's the, why the, I don't think was, they're going to go after him. And that's why I think I, I told everybody the Mets weren't going to get him because what would be the point of trading away a prospect or two for Contreras when for, and, and that's why I thought he was not going to the Mets and everybody thought, Oh, else Contreras and, is going. And, 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 and by the way, the, the report did come out. That the Mets did offer a package to the Nationals mm-hmm. uh, for Josh it Bell. It was confirmed today. For, no, Soto. It was. It was. They were going to trade Alvarez, Beatty, Mauricio, Vientos, and possibly Guillaume and David Peterson in the deal mm-hmm. for the Nationals. And Rizzo said no because he didn't want to trade within the division. Fine. I okay, told you fine. that was going to happen. You, 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 did I not tell you that was going to happen? No, no, no. I know that. I knew it was never going to happen, and that's fine. That's fine. But here's the thing that bothers the crap out of me: is Francisco Alvarez is the number one prospect in baseball. Brett Beatty's the number thirteenth ranked prospect in baseball. I look at prospects as everybody looks at. Oh, you're getting six prospects back. Wow, that's a lot. Okay, but what's the quality of the prospect? I'm judging it. I'd rather take three or four high-rated quality prospects then six or seven, okay, fine, we'll see what their ceiling is, quantity of prospects. The Nationals look at, oh, Soto's going to kill them with the Mets, blah, 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 blah. But then Soto signs as a free agent with the Mets in a few years, which we don't know what will happen, and they're going to get killed anyway. But what if the Nationals spun it as, great, we saw Brett Beatty and Francisco Alvarez and Ronnie Mauricio and all these guys from them, and these guys are going to be absolute studs, and these guys are going to haunt the Mets forever? What if it was spun that way? They they, they went, now they got, they got a very nice package from the Padres, but you got to understand something. The Mets were willing to give them two of the top 12, 13 prospects in baseball. Beatty's the best third-base prospect in baseball right now. Alvarez is the best catching prospect. They're the best at their position in baseball right now. And the Nationals said no. Because they don't, it just seems to me that's just so – it goes back to the Rangers a few years ago when they had Cam Talbot and the Panthers offered them a first-round pick. And I said do it. And they said they don't want to trade in the Eastern Conference, so they trade into Edmonton for a late second-round pick. It was such pettiness on some teams' parts, man. Oh, you're, Josh, you're, you're getting quality back. Josh, we got to go to break. We have to get our guests on. All right, no problem. No problem. Take Thanks, it easy, Josh. Guys. I just want to talk. No problem. Bye-bye. Keep listening. Um, when we come back, ladies and gentlemen, we'll be talking to Sports Illustrated All Dolphins publisher Alan Pupar here on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. You're, you're, you're listening to the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. This is the Sports Loudmouths. We are back, ladies and gentlemen. As you know, this is the Sports Loudmouths. 631-672-3108 is our number. You can go to our website at www.worldwidesportsradio.com. Download our app on iOS, WWSRN, or Android, Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Before we introduce our guest, what, what are they saying over here? Talk about misguided takes because of your team disappointment. Listen, I know, what, I know what Carl is saying right now, what Josh was saying about the Mets. and I, I agree a lot with what Josh was saying, but I never thought... Never thought that Juan Soto was going to get traded to the Mets. I, I I don't know why anybody thought that was going to happen. They weren't going to try trade within the division. They never do that. No team in professional sports do that. Do that even with 
a boatload of pr- prospects. So I wasn't surprised. But we have our fir- we have our first guest, and we're very happy to have him on. We are now talking to Sports Illustrated, all Dolphins publisher, all Alan Pupar, who's joining us. He also does work for the Florida Panthers. How are you doing, Alan? Doing all right, you guys. Sorry to have you on a little bit late. Uh, our uh, one of our fans, one of the guys that helped us out last week, uh, had his own thoughts of the tra- the baseball trade deadline. How are you feeling? How's everything going uh, with your family with the COVID nineteen situation? No, doing good. Uh, we haven't we haven't gotten nailed by it. A lot of people down here are getting it, but so far so good. Are you an Expos fan? I see you wearing an Expos hat. Sir, born and raised in Montreal. Oh, mm. look at you, man. And that's why you write uh, for hockey and, and you write for the Miami Dolphins. So why don't we get into the Dolphins? Because everybody, uh, we're back and forth with the Dolphins acquisitions uh, uh, over the summer. They added Tyreek Hill. Tyreek Hill comes out on his podcast and says, Tua is the more accurate thrower uh, than Patrick Mahomes. I don't know what the hell he's talking I don't know what he's drinking, but uh, whatever. Uh, what are your thoughts to the offseason of the Miami Dolphins? Do you think the Miami Dolphins, with the acquisitions they've made, even in the draft, where it wasn't the best draft but wasn't a bad draft, where do you see them going into this year in 2022? Well, before I, I address that, what's, what Tyreek Hill is doing with, with his comments on his podcast is he's pumping the tires of his new quarterback because he's his new quarterback mm. and because the Dolphins paid him a crap load of money after they acquired him in the trade with the Chiefs. So he's been a good teammate and pumping the tires. Yeah, this is an interesting situation with his team. They were on the doorstep of the playoffs the last two years, 10 and 6 in 2020, 9 and 8 last year, which tells you they were really close. And with the additions, they made not only Tyreek Hill, but Teron Armstead, Tanker, the offensive line, and the same defense coming back entirely intact, all 11 starters. Logic tells you that from that standpoint, well, then this is the year they they burst the door open. But the flip side to that is, even though they were only a game out of the playoffs each of the last two years, in the money game both years, they got smoked by the Bills by 30 in 2020, and they got smoked by Tennessee by 31 points last year. So from that standpoint, they weren't that close. The Vegas over-under is right around nine, eight and a half. So I think the notion that it's a slam dunk and they make the playoffs because of the acquisitions they made in the offseason, I think that might be a stretch, but they certainly can get there if things fall right, starting with quarterback Tua Tango Vailoa taking a big step in his third season after two meh seasons so far in the NFL. So the other big splash was Teron Armstead. They signed and bolster that offensive line. And the offensive line that for the last two years has been the worst statistical offensive line in football. So what do you think of that move? And are you still having some some, some concerns, especially with Tua's injury, with the rest of the line? Well, yeah, because yeah, it's not. A, there's no guarantee that the offensive line is going to take a, a big jump. Uh, I might I might uh, haggle with you a little bit as far as calling it the worst offensive line. There are some metrics where it was the worst. Uh, I think that was overblown. I don't think it was quite the horror show that it was portrayed to be while clearly not being good enough. Having said that Armstead, if he's right physically and can play the whole season is going to make a huge difference, not only because of the quality he is as a left tackle, but also because of the intangibles he can bring as a leader mentor for the rest of the line. Having said that, you're looking at a guy who is what 31, 32 years old, got a fairly lengthy injury history uh, coming off knee procedure in the off season so far in camp, he's basically one practice on, one practice off, 
for load management. If you're the Dolphins, you have to keep your fingers crossed that he can last because if that offensive line doesn't take a big step up from 2021, that's going to hinder Tua's ability to for himself to take a big step forward. As everybody knows, we are talking to Sports Illustrated, all Dolphins publisher, Alan Pupar. Uh, Alan, you look at Jalen Waddle. Last year, he had a very good season. Uh, really, he was injured a little bit last year, but still stayed health, fairly healthy. Coming off a year from Alabama where he wasn't as healthy, coming off a major injury. Uh, now that Tyreek Hill is there, there is no more Parker. He gets traded over there to the Patriots. Uh, do you think that this wide receiving core is much better than we have seen over there in Miami in the last 10 years? 10 years, uh, it was much better than it was last year, that's for sure. Um, the thing with Waddle, and he was the first to say it after the season, yeah, he got a lot of catches, but the yards yards per catch wasn't good. It was under 10 yards, uh, and this is a guy for who's a, who's a speed guy. And here's here's the thing that's – again, this is this – is, with everything Dolphins, there's glass half full, glass half empty. The glass half full here – is San Francisco has led the year the the league in yak the last few years with Mike McDaniel running the show over there or being a big part of the offense. That's a glass half full. The glass half empty is that both Hill both Hill and Jalen Waddle had very low yak numbers last year. So where does it fit? I mean, obviously you you're looking at two guys who are like incredibly fast, um, and you see it at practice. Uh, I mean, you can see in games how fast Tyreek Hill is, but to see it in practice on a daily basis, it's like, Jesus, man, that guy can run. Um, so the potential is there for the wide receiver core to be really, really good. And the Dolphins also signed Cedric Wilson from the Cowboys to serve as the third wide receiver. And he's a guy coming out, coming off a breakout season. So the potential is there, but again, it still has to be done on the field. So you mentioned San Francisco with now bringing in Mike McDaniel after the whole Brian Flores situation. What have you seen so far with his offensive scheme in camp? Like you were mentioning, a lot of yards after the catch, a lot of motion. And are those receivers, who has been taking a lot of those running carries, maybe trying to take on that Debo Samuel-type role? Well, with the understanding that we have a certain media reporting policy that we have to adhere to, I can't give away too much uh, because then I could tell you, but they'd have to kill me. So I, I'm not going to go gonna go there entirely. Well, the, the thing that, that's very noticeable is the running scheme, which is the outside zone, different than what, what they did. And you can see they have backs to make it work. Specifically, another newcomer, Chase Edmonds, whose cutting ability in practice has been very, very apparent. Even though he's not a guy I don't, th- I don't think can be like the major carrier of the load, but he, the guy looks apart. Uh, and Raheem Mostert, who surprisingly was cleared for the start of training camp after the big net, knee injury he had last year, also, really, really fast guy with the cutting abilities. So that's the one thing you've noticed. Um, I, I don't know that they're going to have anybody who's going to have the pure Debo Samuel role. Uh, it could be that they use several guys to combine to do what Debo provided for the 49ers. But, I mean, that guy is a rare animal just because of his skill set, which is very, very unique. Losing Brian Flores was a big loss, I believe, for the Miami Dolphins. He's a very good defensive mind. He goes over there to Pittsburgh, helps out uh, with a very good defense, one of the better defenses and younger defenses in the NFL. Uh, Miami is a very young defensive team. They played very well last year. Uh, Not as good as the year before, but they played better in the second half last year. And uh, I think their secondary is definitely better this year than they were last year. 
I, I think this is going to be a fun defense this year. Uh, but there are a lot of good defenses in that division. Buffalo's defense is young and obviously uh, going to use more younger plays. The Jets added some big pieces to their defense this year that are going to be a very explosive, adding uh, even Kawan Alexander uh, the other day. Where do you see the Dolphins' defense in their division out of all the teams with the Patriots, um, the Jets, and then obviously the Buffalo Bills? I don't mean to be wishy-washy, but that's the thing. Here's the thing. As I mentioned before, the Dolphins have every single solitary starter back from that defense, and they added Melvin Ingram. They added the third-round pick, Channing Tindall, uh, the linebacker from Georgia. But as you mentioned, yeah, Brian Flores can coach defense, and I mean big time. And the big question is, how much of that defense was Brian Flores, him calling the shots, him designing the scheme, him running the show, and how much of it was defensive coordinator Josh Boyer? Hmm. And that's a big question mark um, heading into the 2022 season is can they maintain the same level of success without really the architect of that defense, which was Brian Flores. I don't think he was the mastermind behind that defense. So the potential is there, and they, they ended the season on a high note and defensively with a pretty good string, but that also has to be couched with the fact that they faced Tyrod Taylor, Mike Glennon, Ian Book, Zach Wilson, Joe Flacco, Tyrod Taylor. So it, it was murderers row quarterbacks that they faced in the second half of the season when they made the comeback from, from one and seven uh, to put themselves in the position where they could have made the playoffs eventually wound up nine and eight. So, uh, but the potential is there. You mentioned, you mentioned Jalen Phillips, Javon Holland looks like a complete star in the making at safety. But I, I don't think it's a slam dunk that they're going to be as effective as they were last year down the stretch. That's, again, another one of those where you can look glass half full. They're going to be just as good, if not better, than they were last year. Glass half empty. They're going to miss Flores a bit and take a, take a little bit of a dip. So, obviously, the big news today, obviously, you can't reveal all that you said with the media restrictions, but uh, Stephen Ross getting suspended for a year following. They didn't say anything about the Flores, but the Tom Brady and Sean Payton thing. Are you surprised on this on this kind of thing, considering how the Dolphins front office has operated, trying to go for those flashy names? No, I mean, the, the stories were out there that they were going out. And, in fact, what was revealed was even more extensive than what was pretty much well known. There were some people down here who were like, yeah, no, no, they didn't go after Tom Brady. They didn't go after Sean Payton. Those were the guys. They were they were with two all along. Uh-huh. Well, no, they really wanted to trade for Deshaun Watson last year and eventually at the end decided not to because not all of the civil lawsuits had been settled. And then in the offseason, yeah, they would have liked to have Tom Brady, whether that could have been arranged while he was still under contract with Tampa Bay is a different story though, because of cap ramifications and ownership and player and all that, but no, not surprising. And Steven Ross is somebody who's always liked a shiny toy. So him going for the big move, I mean, Dominican Sue, uh, Mike Wallace, when there, there was a period of time when there was a big free agent available, the dolphins would go after him. Um, so, and at one point it was like before the 2019 college football season, two was the guy they wanted to tank for two was thing. Then Joe Burrow became the guy and then Dolphins, Stephen Ross and the Dolphins really wanted Joe Burrow. Couldn't convince the Bengals to make a trade. Wound up taking two at number five and he hasn't splashed out the way they had hoped. So Deshaun Watson now becomes more, you know, more enticing possibly that Tom Brady becomes more enticing. So no, it wasn't. Uh, overly shocking that those, you know, allegations proved to be true. And as far as the allegations of tanking and offering money to lose games on purpose in 2019 to secure a higher draft pick, that was always going to be incredibly difficult to prove because even if it said, look, I'll give you a hundred thousand dollars if you lose a game, you know, uh, 
you know, we said, no, no, she, no, I was just joking. Obviously, we were trying to win. So We all know about Stephen Ross. Uh, he's a New York native, and he always likes that shiny new toy. And uh, he will do anything to get it, uh, as we all know. Uh, as everybody knows, we are talking to Sports Illustrated and all Dolphins publisher Alan Pupar. And he actually writes for the Florida Panthers. And that is something I want to get into because what are the Florida Panthers doing? When I saw this trade for Matthew Kachuk, I was shocked. Now, they traded their best offensive player in from last year, Jonathan Huberdeau. He is 29 years old. Whatever. He, he's still fairly young. He's still in the prime of his career, career, and he's still a very good player. And then adding to that trade, which made no sense, by the way, either their second or top defenseman in Mackenzie Weger and their top, one of their top prospects in Cole Schwartz. Uh, what is it? Schwitt? Schwitt, which made no sense. What are your thoughts? And they gave up a 2025, uh, 2025 first-round draft pick for Matthew Kachuk. What were your thoughts to this crazy trade, as good as Matthew Kachuk had of a year. He's 24 years old. He's fantastic. I met the kid. He has a very good uh, personality, but, uh, you know, uh, kind of a little cocky like his brother. And uh, and his father, who is a very cocky SOB as well. Um, I met a couple of times as well. I'm not a big fan of Keith Kachuk either. But uh, what are your thoughts to this trade? What were the Florida Panthers thinking when they did this? Okay, just for clarification purposes, I, I don't – I don't write for the Panthers. I, I, I cover the Panthers for NHL.com. Okay. Okay. So NHL.com, okay. yes. Okay. And there was kind of a leading question. I, I'm going to say objection to the leading question because you obviously didn't like the trade. Well, guess what? I really like the trade mm. from the Panthers standpoint. And I, and I mm. will tell you why. Because you mentioned Jonathan Uberdo being one of the <clears> most <throat> best offensive players in the NHL. Without question. In the regular season. His game, as much as I like him, and he's actually – he's from – He's from a town maybe 20 minutes from where I grew up, uh, fellow French-Canadian like me. So we have a bond. Like we, we speak French in the locker room. I like, I like the guy, classy dude and all that. His game doesn't translate in, in the playoffs. It just does not. You saw him. He had five points in 10 playoff games. It's completely ineffective against Tampa Bay. Um, and it's nothing against him. It's, his game is pure finesse where he needs time and space to work his magic and the guy's a phenomenal passer, great stick handler, has the ability to like hang on to the puck for quite a while. Well, guess what? In the playoffs, guys are on you in a second. Uh, no time and space. The game is way more physical. He's just not a great playoff performer because of his style. Now you mentioned Mackenzie Weger uh, as the second best Panther defenseman. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, he's another guy who's undersized. Not necessarily made for the playoffs. He gets pushed around. He's a tough kid. I will give him that. I mean, he's a bulldog, but he's small. He gets pushed around in the playoffs in front of the net on the boards. He also has a habit of turning the puck over. Now, having said that, he's great in the regular season. Good two-way guy, but it was problematic in the playoffs. I mean, the the Panthers, if we're going to be honest, we're lucky to be Washington in the first round this year for their first playoff series win since 96. Um. And if Tom Wilson doesn't get hurt in the in the the opener of that series and doesn't play again, I think the Panthers would have had problems. So I the Panthers, as they were constituted, even though they had the best team in the regular season, to me were deficient. And I, I said this before the playoffs started that they, 
I, I was concerned that was not a team that was built for a long run. So now, so you combine that and then Kachuk, you want to talk a guy prototypically built for the playoffs. That's Matthew Kachuk. Is he really 27 yeah. games, seven goals, eight assists, negative 11. And it, it's not, it hasn't really, uh, a, he hasn't really approached his game in the playoffs and a team, a Calgary flames team that was one of the best offensive teams in the league completely got bombed by, I don't know, the Edmonton Oilers, a team that should have knocked, shouldn't have knocked them off. They had terrible goaltending. He did not show up in that series. I'm sorry he did not. And to say that Matthew Kachuk, out of five players, and I disagree with you on this as much as I love you, man. But I'm looking. I do. I do love you. I, I I'm sitting here looking at this trade. You gave up. A top prospect, you gave up a first-round draft pick, you gave up your second probably best defenseman, and you gave up a good offensive player for a guy like Matthew Kachuk, who, by the way, as much as everybody thinks he's such a great playoff player, he has not shown up there. He And, and really, as a personality, he's going to Florida now. He is going to have the pressure on him to show up to games and be a leader, something he was not in Calgary. So to sit here and say giving up five players for one and saying that this was a great trade for the Florida Panthers. And by the way, I actually grew up a Florida Panther fan because of John Van Beesbrook. Okay, so I'm, I'm, I actually still root them on. I wanted to see them win. They got their butts whipped by a Tampa Bay uh, Lightning team that honestly – I shouldn't have even it shouldn't have it, it shouldn't have even been close the way the Florida Panthers played throughout the season and and they added uh, what is it um uh, Goudreau um uh, I, I was it uh, Claude Claude Giroux Claude Giroux, yeah. Claude Giroux which they lost in free agency to Ottawa so it, it it doesn't make any sense I don't like this trade this sets this team back I bet you they don't even make the playoffs next year. Okay, can I can I add add something else because I wasn't quite done with with Oh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Okay. Um, and I don't know if I called it a great trade. I said I like the trade. A couple of other factors. It was four players. Number one, number number two, number two. You overestimate. Cole Schwinn's a good prospect. He's not one of the Panthers' top prospects. That's, not, that's just flat out not true. Sorry. Uh, and the other issue is finances. Uyghur was heading into his UF his last season of his contract. Uberdo was getting into the final season of his contract. Uh, it was going to take a whole lot of money, and the do- and the Panthers were like in cap hell, so they got a guy. And you want you, we want to quibble about Kachuk. First of all, Kachuk was twenty four years old. Kachuk, mm-hmm. uh, unless I'm severely mistaken, had more points in the playoffs than Uberdo did. And you, you're not going to argue with me that Kachuk he played in more games. He played in more games than Uberdo did. Six and four. Okay, per game it was still higher. And you're not going to tell me the thing is if Uberdo is not scoring, he do- doesn't necessarily bring a whole lot. Whereas Kachuk brings a physical presence. Okay, um, as a playoff player, I don't. To me, uh, to me, it's black and white that Kachuk is is more ideal as a playoff player. Okay, and then now you're dealing with the fact that you you had two guys who you're going to have to give major contracts to when you're in cap hell, and then you got, let's say, one the the two key players in that trade. You went from a 29 year old to a 24 year old. So I like it from all those standpoints. The Panthers were in a tough spot with their cap. With those guys, to me, the the worst, the the most disappointing move of the offseason for the Panthers was in that trade. In the remotest was was not being able to re-sign Mason Marchment, who who is one of the few Panther players who is what I call a prototypical play, prototypical playoff guy. They have too many finesse players, and they needed to toughen that team up. 
to be able to take a longer run. And I'm with you. They will not be anywhere near as good in the regular season without Uberdon Uyghur. I agree with you. And in the Eastern Conference, with the, the improvements made by some other teams, yeah, they might struggle to make the playoffs. But if they do get in the playoffs, I think they'll be a lot better equipped to make a run than they were even this past season. So you mentioned it from the player style, but also from the coaching style, too. They move on from their interim coach and Andrew Burnett, who they won the President's Trophy with, and bring in Paul Maurice. Is that your thinking, maybe, of why they brought him in, too? Because Paul Maurice with Winnipeg always brought a physical style. They were one of the more physical teams in the league. You think that's the reason why they made that coaching move, to try to get more playoff prepared for the Florida Panthers? I don't know why they make the move, and I, and I have no problem with Paul Maurice. He's a good coach. He's been around a while. He's got a great reputation, but from where I sit, Andrew Burnett got a raw deal. If I'm sitting from the position of the Panthers were not well-constituted to make a playoff run based on their roster, well, that doesn't fall on Andrew Burnett. They were well-constituted to make to have a really good regular season while they had the best record in the league. So can we not agree that Burnett maximized their ability in the regular season? And in the playoffs, well, they were shortcomings on their roster and... The coaching alone wasn't able to overcome it. I'm not sure if Paul Maurice would have won the series against Tampa Bay with the roster they had. So, yeah, I don't know. I, I Like I said, I think I think Bruna got a raw deal out of this one. We are talking to Sports Illustrated, all Dolphins publisher, Alan Pupar. Last question for me about the Florida Panthers. Uh, you look at this this organization, who a lot of people, they were all in last year at the trade deadline. They made the moves that they needed to. Uh, it didn't work out for them. Then. This offseason, they made that Kachuk move. You look at this team right now. Are they more equipped for the future um, for what they were this year? Or did they set themselves back a couple of years after this uh, trade deadline and this offseason? I mean, you, you, I mean, they lost first round picks. But again, they had a team that they figured had a shot and Giroux if we talk about guys who are built for the playoffs, is more built for the playoffs than Ruberto, for example. They also got Ben Sherratt, big defenseman, who was one of their few physical defensemen in the playoffs. Uh, it completely sucks that they got both of them ended up being rentals. They kind of knew that when they made those trades. Um, and then they lost Marchment. Um, but I think they got to me. And then again, you don't agree, but I, I see Kachuk as a major foundational piece I hope so for their sake. (laughs) To a team that can make a run. And another thing also, uh, I'm a massive, massive fan of Barkov, who I think is one of the maybe top five two-way players in the NHL. But at some point, point he's going to have to take charge of a playoff series. Um, You know, because to me, it seems like his ability – dictates that he should and i'm thinking of like john Tavares, for example against the panthers in 2016 almost single-handedly won that series and i think barkov has that kind of ability and the dude's still only 26 27 even though it feels like he's been playing for 15 years but he needs to take that step level so to answer your question i think they're about in the same spot in terms of long range and and their capabilities even though they'll probably take a step back in the regular season we really appreciate you joining us i know you're a very busy guy and uh 
Uh, obviously, OTAs have started. Uh, you know, you're going to see guys playing in pads training, now. Training camp, not OTAs, training camp. I'm sorry, training camp. Uh, but uh, I always call that OTAs. Uh, that's what I call it. But uh, they're getting ready for preseason. Preseason is what? Three weeks away? I mean, two I weeks. I think it's next week. Some teams start next week. Yeah. Is it? Is yeah. it really a week away? Wow. It's, Actually, there's a game. There's a game. Uh, it's crazy. Yeah, the Hall of Fame game, yeah. The Hall of Fame game, I heard. But I, I didn't know the games were starting that quick. I yeah. thought it was like two, three weeks away. But what? Welcome that just shows August. you. It's crazy. Crazy man, football is. I mean, football starts in September. It, it's just, it's crazy. It really is. But uh, thank you for joining us. Tell the fans how they can find you on social media, bud. Uh, I don't know if you had the, my Twitter handle down there. It's Poopar, my last name, P as in Peter O U, P as in Peter again, A R T. As you see the name scrolling down there, NFL. That's my Twitter handle at Poopar NFL. Well, we'll definitely get you on again. I definitely want to get into more conversations about the Dolphins and your thoughts of the Dolphins before the season starts. So I'll have Speedy get you on before the season starts, and we'll go over uh, your thoughts in the division and where the Dolphins could be this year. But uh, thank you for giving us the time, my friend. You got it. As everybody knows, as everybody knows, we're talking, and we were talking to Sports Illustrated, all Dolphins publisher, Alan Pupar. Very nice guy. Really Mm -hmm. is. Uh, I love going back and forth. Yes. <laughs> and, uh, I had to I had to attack that. I mean, I can't sit here right now and say, hey, you know, uh, great move. I I thought it was a bad move. And I, I'm going to tell you, that's, that's going to set the team back. And I, I wouldn't be surprised after giving him the contract that they gave him. I wouldn't be surprised in two years he's going to demand himself out of Florida. Because I know the Kachuk family, they're so demanding – on where they want to be and what they're all about. When we come back, we'll be talking to former Chargers and Vikings punter Darren Bennett here on the Sports Lamas. You're, you're, you're listening to the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. This is the Sports Loudmouths. Six three one six seven two thirty one zero eight is the number. This is the Sports Loudmouths. I am Errol Marks, Speedy Petey. Remember, you can uh, obviously go to our website at www.worldwidesportsradio.com. Download our app on iOS, WWSRN, or Android, Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Ah, <laughs> uh, listen. I, you know what it is? And I, I don't think Carl takes shots at me, but I know Jeff does. And uh, before we get to our guest, who I know he's been waiting uh, dearly to get on with us, uh, Carl says, Errol Weapons, hot guest, said Bills are a juggernaut, hands down in the AFC favorite for the Super Bowl. You stated that Bills take a huge step back. So two experts with vastly different projections. What am I left to believe? Here's what I, I could say to you. I will, I'm willing to bet you those, uh, I guess, hot guests or – Top typical guests were Bills guys. So why would you believe a Bills guy saying that they're the favorites? Meanwhile, the Bills have taken some steps back defensively on that team. They're younger, but they lost a lot of veterans in the offseason. So to sit and they overpaid a pass rusher, I think is still very good. But you're giving him like a 60, 70, $70 million guarantee for a guy that's 33 years old, 34 years old. Big mistake. 
And I'm not going to say that the Bills aren't the favorites to come out of the AFC East, but the favorites to winning the AFC, what a joke. There's a bigger problem. Bobby what Hart is getting first team reps at left guard. What I can't trust a, a team joke. Like that. <laughs> I have no idea what they're talking Whoever was their experts talking about how good the Bills are going to be, I mean, you heard it from Speedy. Bobby Hart is starting as one of their tackles. No, left guard. Oh, I'm sorry, left, left guard. guard. He's the first team. He'll reps. be playing tackle before you know it because they better hope not. Injuries happen, and they don't have I, I, they don't have a lot of depth over there. So good luck on the Bills takes. I, I I will say this: the Bills are the better team in the AFC East. They're more talented. They have the best quarterback in the division right now. But to sit here and say they're a juggernaut? No. And we have our guest, and I'm sure he has his own thoughts. We are now talking to former Chargers and Viking punter, Darren Bennett. Darren, what's going on, man? How are you, guys? We are good, man. I like that accent, too, man. Uh, uh, that, is that Australian? It started as an Australian accent, and I've been here 30 years now, and I'm still stuck with it. So <laughs> it's... Uh, over the years, we've had so many Australians come and stay with us. Mm. Uh, I think we keep the accents. Um, you know, when we haven't had people come for a while, if I talk to my brother, my wife says I talk through my nose all the time. So <laughs> the longer I'm here and the more I'm in the Midwest here in Tulsa, I get a little bit of a, a bit of a Midwest roll to it. But otherwise, mm. yeah, it's an Australian accent. As everybody knows, we are talking to former Chargers and Vikings punter Darren Bennett. Um, so, Darren, why don't we get into your career a little bit, and then we'll talk about your thoughts of what's going on with, uh, obviously, the Chargers, the Vikings, teams that you played for, and, and what's going on in the league. Um, obviously, you're a guy that played a little bit of rugby in your time. Uh, have a little bit of background at kicking, uh, obviously. Um, wh- how did you start kicking a football? Where, what made you decide that you should try out and play football? So what I'm going to do is I'm going to back you up a little bit. I played Australian rules football, which Mm. is not rugby, totally different game. Mm -hmm. Uh, But the game that we play in in the southern states of Australia is based on kicking. And so we already have those skills. Uh, I could kick probably, you know, 55, 60 yards when I was 11 years old. And so as my career progressed, uh, I started to slow down you know, in my mid-20s, and I had a lot of knee surgeries. I'm actually sitting on a couch rehabbing a double knee replacement right now. Wow. So, um, you know, I had over my career of Aussie rules and NFL, I had 20 knee surgeries, <laughs> oh, but I could still kick the hell out of a ball. And so my strength <laughs> coach in Melbourne used to come across to training camp um, uh, over at the Dolphins, and then he would he would go to the the Cowboys, and he goes, man, I'll tell you, he goes, you couldn't run to save yourself, but you could you could out punt these punters that are both on those teams right now. He said so. He arranged a, a tryout for me in San Diego, and I won a, a long kick contest in Australia, and used the the winning prize was two tickets to Los Angeles, and so. Mm-hmm. My wife and I used it as a honeymoon, and on the honeymoon, <laughs> I got a tryout with the Chargers, and. They put me on practice squad in 94, and I went and stood on the sideline and watched San Francisco smash us in the Super Bowl. Mm. So the consumption of the NFL with rugby and also, like you were mentioning, with Australian rules football in place, like what is it like in Australia when you were growing up there watching the NFL and getting into the NFL? Yeah, so the NFL, when I was growing up, now it's instant. I mean, we're in this instant gratification world, so I can click on uh, in Australia – 
any game at any time, ESPN, highlights. When I was playing or when I was looking to do some research, we had a replay of the top three games, only highlights, zero punts on a Tuesday night, three days after the game. So I never saw a punt live on TV. I never saw it recorded on TV until I came over. I sort of just went on my strength coach's Say, say so. And then I went to a Seattle Seahawks game when we were on our honeymoon and I watched the punters and I tried to work out what the distance was they were punting and whether I could punt that. Uh, but I was very fortunate. You know, Bobby Bethard's one of the greatest general managers in the history of the league. He's in the, the Hall of Fame. But for him to think outside the box and take an Australian straight off the boat who didn't know, I mean, I had no idea how to put a helmet, shoulder pads, anything on. But I, you know, I hit some 80-yard punts on the on the field that day, and he saw some potential there, so he gave me a shot. Darren, it says over here you're six foot five, two hundred and thirty-five pounds. You're a big man. Uh, as you know, field goal. I mean, I'm not field goal. Punt return kickers are very big in the NFL now, but not tall in length. They're just big. They have big legs and. Very strong upper body, and it's amazing. Some of them are physical specimens. They're just absolutely ridiculous. Uh, in the time that you played in the 90s, uh, are, are the kickers different now than they ever were when you played? The punters? The punters, yes. So Mark Royals was at Pittsburgh when mm-hmm. I first started. He was six foot six. Mm-hmm. Then I was six foot five. And I think Rick Tootin was probably six foot four, and everyone else was smaller. Mm. So the, the trend now. You know, we coach punters back in Australia. We see so many six foot four, six foot five kids that are coming over to go to college. And Sav Rocker, who, you know, he played a great, had a great Australian rules career. And then he came over and played at Philadelphia and also at Washington. Sav, six foot five, played at 260 pounds, you know, so he's legit. I mean, you know, we're not going to catch one of those returners, but if we do, we're going to hit him like a linebacker. So, that was sort of the obligation that was that was bred into me when I first started, that if you get a chance to put your head in there, these guys do it every play. So, you know, if you get to do it a few times a season, you should do it. And, and you know, I thought I had a lot of fun doing it. I remember Sav Rock. I'm a, I grew up, I'm a Giants fan. I grew up watching him when he was with Washington and with Philly, but in the NFC East. And another one that I grew up when he was on the team was Steve Weatherford, another big guy. So maybe he got some yeah. of that influence from you. Yeah, but see, Steve's only six foot two. So, you know, Steve's Steve was uh, came and spent a lot of time with John Carney, who was my mentor at San Diego. Uh, and he mentored Steve and really, you know, helped him get through the second half of his career. And then Steve went on and had a terrific career in New York, you know. So we sort of – it's a small community, NFL punters. And, and at any time during the offseason, we probably would walk out on a field and, and most of those punters will come out and have a punt with us. So it's a pretty tight community and – you know, we used to know most of the guys when we were playing. So my question is, what, you playing Australian rules football, then transitioning to the NFL, what were some of the biggest adjustments, both with coaching and with your technique as a whole? So the biggest adjustment for me was learning how to wear a helmet and shoulder pads. I mean, we wear nothing. We wear a sleeveless shirt and a pair of shorts, and that's you go out and play football. And then trusting that all the guys in front of me were going to protect for me and they were going to form that pocket. And all I had to do was take care of my technique on rhythm at the right time and we would get the ball off. And it was proven so many times. You know, as I got more experienced, I had Terrell Fletcher, who was my personal protector for about seven years, and I would see the the jersey from another team flash in front of me, 
And I'm like, you know, I'm in the middle of a punt thinking, where are you, Fletch? And then all of a sudden, Terrell would just fly across and take that guy out in front of me and we would get the punt off, you know. So I think that was the biggest thing for me was trying to go, if I went on my own rhythm and I don't use up too many yards, I have to trust that all these guys are going to protect for me. It takes a little minute to do that. We are talking to former Chargers and Vikings punter Darren Bennett. Darren, what is it like being uh, presented on the NFL's 1990s All-Decade team? Something like that, uh, really being a standout as a punter in the NFL in the 90s with some of the the best players of the league, and you were considered one of the best in the 90s at your position. What was it like knowing that you had that privilege of being a part of that All-Decade team? I mean... Honestly, someone called me on the phone and said, you're on the all-decade team, and that was it. <laughs> so it's not like we went and played against the 1980s team and see who was best, you know. So it's not – I mean, that wasn't the reason I played the game. It was – for me, it was the challenge of playing in two separate professional sports. So the accolades are great and, you know, Pro Bowls and all that sort of stuff. But really, it was it was more about keeping your job every day and, and mm. fighting off these young guys that came to every training camp trying to take your position. Mm. So you throughout the 90s, you played with the Chargers and you played with a guy that uh, very sad what happened to him passing away in Junior Seau, one of the best linebackers in NFL history. Very sad what happened to him. So what was he like as a teammate on and off the field? So the one the great thing about uh, Junior is Junior did not have to know who I was. He was the star of the team, uh, you know, drafted in the, the first round and you know, by the time I got there in 94, he'd been to a few Pro Bowls. And so he came up and he grabbed me. I hit a punt, probably mini camp, and it was a it was a bomb. I crushed it. And he came up and he called me the man with the kangaroo leg right there. And then we had Al Papunu and uh, Don Sasa and Junior. And he grabbed me and said, you're one of the Islanders, bro. And I'm like, how do you even know who I am? And he's like, you keep hitting 80-yard punts like that, everyone's going to know who you are. And it really gave me the confidence to be accepted because I was just a dude on the field trying to do my job and to have the star of the team junior know who I was and bring me in and sort of grab me around the neck and go, come on, man, you're going to help us out. That's how junior was with everybody. So I'm sad like you are that he's not here anymore. It's uh, I surfed with him two weeks before he passed and we had no idea what was going on, but well, I, you know, we've lost a lot of guys off that Super Bowl team, but, He's really he was a giant in Southern California in the Samoan community and and with us he was you know a man amongst boys so it was great great uh, to co- watch and and I was glad he was on our team and not on the opposition. A couple of fans have a couple of questions for you. Um, one of them says, "Who does he think is the most hated guy in Aussie rules footy?" Because I still hate Luke Hodge. That was one of them. And another one said, did you, did you appreciate punting in a dome? So I love punting NFL balls. They go a mile if you get a good spiral on them. So uh, I really love it. Uh, when I was playing in the 90s, I came and played a few exhibition Aussie rules games over here. And the guy that came over and did the promotion right before me was this guy named Mark Jacko Jackson. And everywhere we went, I, was, I went and did the promotions the year after. And everyone hated the guy. And he came over and he was like a WWE wrestler playing Aussie Rules football. So he turned up to do an interview like I'm doing with you guys right now with a, like a T-bone steak <laughs> on a chain around his neck. And he was calling it a blood sport. And, you know, he offended a lot of people. So, But he loved it, you know. So I would say when I was playing Jacko, Mark Jacko Jackson was the uh, 
was the the uh, most hated guy, and he was very famous for uh, uh, doing a handstand because a guy told him he'd never be a football player while his butt pointed to the ground. So he did a handstand in front of him and then explained to the people afterwards. So he was a bit of a clown, but a good football player at the same time. So uh, went, went to my next question nicely. You went from the Chargers to the Vikings, actually, grow, obviously growing up in Australia. So you're going to a cold-weather city. Now, you played in a dome, in the Metrodome, but you had to play against other rival teams in the NFC North that had the coldest stadium. So what was that kind of transition like, especially like Lambeau Field? You beat so, them in the playoffs. I mean, I had two sons at the time, and, and uh, we, we'd just been in Southern California. So... And I was at the point of my career where Mike Cyphers had been drafted to the Chargers. So I went and spoke to Marty Schottenheimer at the end of the year. And I said, look, Marty, you know, we think between Steve Christie and I, we've mentored him for the year. We think he's going to punt 10 years, which we were right. He punted 12 years for the Chargers. And so it's time for me to go somewhere else. And so my knees were getting to the point where I wasn't really sure I was even going to pass a physical. And so the first place I went to was the Vikings. And it was so diagonally opposite to living in San Diego. I thought it'd be a great character thing for our, for our kids to spend a couple of years in Minnesota. And it was, they'd still stay in contact with people they met over there. Luckily for me, Mike Tice, our head coach, hated the cold. He grew up in New York, played in Seattle, but literally two, two games into the season, we'd get our first cold day in Minnesota and he'd go, okay, boys, inside. And we would practice inside for the rest of the year. So the toughest part about Minnesota was driving to practice in the snow. But we pretty much practiced and played inside for, you know, 85% of the year. I love Mike Tice, by the way. I met Mike Tice three times. He has a good family. He's a good guy. He's a Long Island native. Uh, so... I have a tremendous amount of respect for Mike Tice. Uh, we are talking to former Chargers and Vikings punter Darren Bennett. Darren, when you look at the league now and the transitional league, and I, I don't think punters are respected as much as they should be. And as the years gone by, they've become more important to the league and, and some of these Super Bowl contending teams. I mean, uh, we talk about the Rams last year. They have one of the more um, – underrated punters in the league, but nobody talks about them because of how good the defense is and how, how good the, uh, the quarterback was, you know? So, and, and he made some of the best punt, you know, kicks uh, throughout the playoffs, especially against the new England Patriots. Yeah. Uh, I, I mean, not the new England, I'm sorry, the, uh, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. So what, what are your thoughts to the position as a whole? Do you, do you think that some of these teams or some of the some of the people in the league don't respect the position as much as they should? Okay, so Johnny Hecker, who was the punter at at the Rams, he's gone across to Carolina. Um, Lachlan Edwards was at Carolina last year, and mm -hmm. actually Mike Cyphers was the kicking coach there at Carolina. Mm -hmm. They they switched everything around this year, and uh, Lachlan called me this week and said, you know, he's going to retire, and that was his last year in the league. But you know, Johnny Hecker's gone over there. Johnny was a game changer. You know, I, I used the, the inside the 20 drop punt, but really only for inside the 20s. Johnny took that punt and misdirection spiral, and he's really made it his own. And so there's other guys that have tried to emulate that, but no one did it as well as Johnny. Now, he's getting towards the end of his career, and he's probably not as effective as he was, but he was absolute. When the Rams were good a few years back, Johnny was an absolute weapon for those guys, and his misdirection punts, 
he would hit a 65-yard punt, walking right, and punt it to the left sideline with the returner never touch the ball. You get a 65 or 68-yard net. That's a massive difference on a 100-yard field when you can get that and have the returner not touch the ball. So, you know, this week I'm watching ESPN or the, you know, NFL Live and those guys come on and I blame a lot of it really on the on the executives in the media because really Jay Feely is the only guy that speaks about special teams during games. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So they said, you know, the conversation was about the charges and they said, you know, we just can't, can't work out why the charges just can't get over the line. You know, they've got a young quarterback who threw for 5,000 yards last year. They've got a great defense with Bo- Joey Bosa and those guys there. They just can't, and they were 9-8 and eight last year. And I'm like, no one's talking about the fact their special teams has been 30th in the league since Mike Cyphers retired. They've picked horrible punters. They regularly give up 50 and 60-yard returns in a game. And so the conversation never really happens about special teams, only about offense and defense. Mm-hmm. And I sit there frustrated and pull out what's left of my hair going, well, <laughs> that's because you're obviously not looking at the reason. They miss, you know, eight field goals during the season. The year after Mike, I think Mike was there, they had a young kid there. He dropped two snaps on punts. He shanked two punts coming out of the end zone and he dropped a punt, uh, dropped a snap on a field goal and they were nine and seven. So if two of those games they win... They're they're eleven and five. They they make the playoffs. Mm. So they, I think, that at the time, you know, they're they're talking about you know, oh, the offense did this offense. Oh, it's there was four losses that you could put on one person's shoulders right there. So, you know, I think there is a big conversation about offense and defense, but not many people know about the special teams part of the game. I absolutely agree with. Yeah, you, you mentioned Cyphers too. Like he got he had hurt in twenty fourteen, really bad injury that happened to him. I feel bad for him because he was very good. The kicking game though too. Ever since Nate Katie got hurt, how many different kickers did they go through too? And they kept having to cut them, and they were never great either. So yeah, the Chargers definitely. Look, I, I tell that. the story about Mike Cyphers. He's he's we're punting again. He's playing against. Uh, I was doing the pregame show for the Chargers, and we're playing against Indianapolis. And and there's about a minute to go in the game, and Peyton Manning and Tom Moore are standing on the sideline, and they've got the playbook open like this. And Peyton Manning's going, "I like this play. I like this play." And he's presuming that Mike's going to hit a 45, 50 yard punt. They're going to get a five or eight yard return, and they need two first downs to kick a field goal. And they're focused on those guys on the sideline. Mike hits a 73-yard punt. Hmm. And as the ball's in the air, Peyton Manning looks and he closes like three pages of the playbook because <laughs> he couldn't use any of those plays. And then he got sacked and he th- and then uh, they never got a first down and the Chargers win the game. It was the best punt. Mike's, I think Mike punted six times. He averaged like 57 yards and he had like four inside the 10. It was ridiculous. So years later, Peyton goes to Denver and Mike said he runs out, he's warming up and Peyton runs right up to about six inches from his face and he goes, damn it, you're still in the league. (laughs) So for a punter to get in a Hall of Famer's quarterback's head, you know, that's when you know he was such a weapon at the charge. Yeah, the, the Chargers owned Peyton Manning throughout his career, too. They had that one playoff win. They had the six interception game. I mean, it wasn't, it wasn't yeah. just that. Yeah, and unfortunately, the, Nick, Nate Keating missed a couple of field goals. Yeah. And 
Marty Schottenheimer sat on the ball against New England one year, one year and yeah. against the Jets, and it just it was a bit of a disaster when they when they got into the playoffs those years. Yeah, that 09 Chargers team was loaded. I'm a, I'm still shocked they lost to the Jets that year. I remember. I mean, that. you look, you know, you got you got Drew Brees and you got Philip Rivers and you got uh, you know Ladainian Tomlinson, and it just was man after man after man. You go, this is the best team the Chargers have ever had, and then they just got to the playoffs and played a different game. It's ridiculous. <laughs> yeah, that's <laughs> my Jets. Yeah, <laughs> actually, that was my next question. Uh, Drew Brees, you got to be a teammates with him as a young player. So, what was he like, and also Ladainian Tomlinson when he was a young player? Yeah, I mean, Drew, Drew was terrific. You know that the the one person that I would say really had a massive influence on Drew is they brought Drew uh, Doug Flutie in, and you know, I think what he did was Drew. When Drew took over, we were playing against Chicago. Drew stepped in, and uh, you know he didn't have a great game that year, that that uh, first game. But you could see Doug on the sideline just teaching him how to play. And I think what he did was he gave Drew the understanding that you don't have to be six foot five to play the quarterback position. Um, the one thing that they used to do every practice is they would play the trash bin and the crossbar game. And that what they were doing was they were building this really minute accuracy. And if you look at some of the passes Drew threw over his career, there's not many guys that could be as pinpoint accurate as he was. He threw such a beautiful ball. And, uh, you know, and I think Doug had a huge influence on him in his first couple of years of teaching him how to be a pro. Just don't listen to the outside talk about you have to be six foot five to play this position. Find your own throwing lanes. And he really did. You know, Drew became a real aficionado of how to move inside the pocket and still know where your throwing lanes were. So I couldn't be proud of how what his career was. And I think, you know, it was tough when he left the Chargers. But, you know, I've talked to Drew about this and I was like, New Orleans needed a hero. And you needed a new challenge, and they found each other at the right time. And look at what he went and did when he was in New Orleans. It was terrific. One of the greatest quarterbacks to ever play the game. One of the top five greatest quarterbacks. And I think if he'd stayed at the Chargers, may not have happened. Yep. I absolutely agree agree with that. But they were looking – Phillip Rivers came in, and uh, obviously they with the with the knee injury that he had, I think they wanted to move forward with – with uh, obviously uh, Rivers and 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 Drew Brees is still very well respected uh, in the San Diego community and obviously the LA community because of what he is and what he really gave back to football and I I've always liked Drew I think it was a real big loss what NBC did to him um, I but I think he wanted out of that but I think it was just so disrespectful you signed somebody like that and then you part ways after a year or so I I completely disagree yeah look I Drew will go on and do bigger better no, bigger course. and better things mm-hmm. I think he's you know maybe he maybe he didn't enjoy it you know I haven't mm-hmm. spoken to him in a, in a little while but you know when he did that shoulder you could understand why the Chargers did it but at the time. AJ Smith was was hell bent on building only guys that he had something to do with drafting, and John Butler had drafted Drew, and so it's also why they shortened Ladanian's time at at uh, the Chargers. I think they got into a bit of an argument with their agent, and so once Drew hurt that shoulder, you could see why there was a plan in place to bring to bring Philip along. Uh, you know, and Drew's credit, you know, he rehabbed that thing. A lot of quarterbacks may not have rehabbed that shoulder to turn up what he did, and then he played so well afterwards. Um, Again, we are talking to former Chargers and Vikings punter Darren Bennett. Last question for me. And we were talking about how important special teams are and punters. I I still don't understand how there's only one punter inducted into the Hall of Fame. One. 
all these years, and and I've always said that they're a little harsh, the, the community of voters over there in the Hall of Fame, when you look at some of the greatest players at their positions, how is there only one punter, Darren, in the NFL Hall of Fame? It doesn't make sense. Yeah, look, when Ray Guy was voted in a couple of years ago, 20 of us went. And it was such a great brotherhood to go and support him going in because we understood what a significant uh, moment that was. But years, years and years and years ago, I was spokesperson for NFL International. I went and played in NFL Europe and I was just thankful to be involved. And I met Chuck Bednarek from the Green Bay Packers and they introduced me and said he's a great, was a great linebacker. And he goes, you're an Australian? He goes, yeah. And I said, and he goes, and you play in the league? I go, I do, yeah. And he goes, what position do you play? I go, punter. He goes, oh, shit, you're not even a real football player. <laughs> when he did that, I understood, and, I, and it was made apparent to me straight away that punters would just go sit in the corner, be quiet. You know, we don't really want to use you, but there's a rule that on fourth down, someone's got to kick the ball, so you better go out there. And so hopefully the last few years, punters making tackles, punters averaging over 40 yards, uh, making huge differences i mean there's some guys mike cypher should be seen as a mm-hmm. guy that would go into the hall of mm-hmm. fame shane leckler from the raiders you know it was definitely had a consistency over 12 to 15 years where he should be seen as someone that should go into the hall of fame uh jeff Fiegels, mm-hmm. you know jeff Fiegels was part of the last of the great directional punters you know, Feigs could sit there and just paint the sideline. And he wasn't a 58, 57-yarder, but he was super consistent. And he went to the Pro Bowl at like 42 years of age. Mm-hmm. So, you know, when you look at it, he played 20 years in the NFL. So if you were a linebacker, I don't care if you were average as a linebacker. If you played 20 years in the NFL, they will put you in the Hall of Fame. And so eventually, hopefully, there will be a recognition of the guys that played every position because every position has its own thing. You know, when I ran out on the field every day, I looked at it and went, I can't rush the quarterback. I can't throw 50-yard touchdowns, but none of you guys can do what I'm about to do right now. And so that was, I had that confidence that the punting position was my position. And I got injured once in my career and I had a young, they brought a young kid in to punt that week. It was the worst week of my career because I watched my punt team run out there with someone else standing 15 yards back and I wanted to punch the kid every time he was out there. So I had that confidence that my position was – that I couldn't do any of the other positions, but they couldn't do my job either. And so people ha- will have to eventually respect the fact that punting is a part of the game and hopefully will always be that. So before I get to my last question, I just want to read two of Carl's comments. Uh, Carl says, uh, don't uh... – Brian Mormon, every do you shudder every time he gets lit up by Sean Taylor in the Pro Bowl? A massive, massive hit. And then also he mentions uh, we need to agree that Devin Hester needs to be in the Hall of Fame, and then we could add in punters as well. Yes, Devin absolutely agree with that. Absolutely agree with it. And there was, you know, uh, Ben Graham was staying at my house uh, when he got he'd been cut by um, I think by Arizona, and his family had gone home to Australia, and I had his car, and he said, "Can you sell my car for me?" And I said, yeah, sure, you know. So he flew home to Australia. Event, And then I get a message and he goes, hey, man, don't sell my car. And I go, why? And he goes, um, Rob Malone just punted down the middle to Devin Hester <laughs> and I'm going to Detroit. And I go, what? And he, they said, apparently on the sideline, the coach said, the one thing you cannot do is let him touch the ball. Punt it out of bounds. I don't care what you do. And he yacked it inside and Devin Hester obviously took him to the, t- you know, to the end zone. 
So I sent I sent uh, Ben's car up to Detroit, and he finished the season up there. But you know that's how devastating De- uh, Devon was. At at times, you make one little mistake, and you better make the tackle because he's bringing it back every time. So my last question is: You were a teammate for a year in 2004 in Minnesota with Randy Moss. What was he like as a teammate? Do you have any good stories of him? So I do. Um, my, I have two sons. One of them punted here at the University of Tulsa, and that's why we moved to Tulsa. And we have a son who unfortunately passed away last year. Sorry, William, oh, he, so sorry, he had muscular him. dystrophy. So on Mondays, I used to take them both in to the practice facility, and I'd leave them in the players' locker room, uh, and I'd, they'd play Madden and do all that sort of stuff while I was in. And then we'd Will in his wheelchair, and then Thomas, we'd go out onto the practice fields, and we'd have a kick around and run around and just mess around, and I'd just show them the facilities. So I come out after the special teams meeting and everyone else has got, we've had a team meeting and all, everyone's in position meetings and I'm walking down to get the boys and I can hear this voice talking to them. And I'm like, I walk, stick my head in and there's Randy playing uh, Grand Theft Auto with my kids. <laughs> and I'm like, you guys are just going to play Madden. And he goes, no, oh, man, they can play Madden anytime. Let's go. And he was playing Grand Theft Auto with my kids. <laughs> and so that's what Randy was. Randy, the outside personality of Randy and the the teammate personality were two different things and then the other thing that Randy did and I it's one of my favorite photographs ever when we first got there we couldn't get wheelchair accessible seats for in the in the Metrodome so they put them in the overflow right in the corner of the end zone for preseason, knowing that people would give their seats up and eventually we'd get a wheelchair accessible seat for Will First touchdown of the season, Randy catches it over his shoulder in the corner of the end zone and he puts the football in my son's lap, in Will's lap, and just runs off. And all my my phone blows up after the game. They're like, Will's on ESPN, Randy gave him the football. And I'm like, what? And so I look and there he is on ES on Sports Center. And I said to Randy, did you know that was my son? And he goes, I had no idea. He goes, that little dude just looked like he needed a football. And that, <laughs> so that to me, you know, it was, it's one of my favorite photos. And PR got a, a nice picture of it and they blew it up and Randy signed it to Will. And, you know, so they were great mates. So, you know, the outside Randy and the actual person of Randy are two totally different things. He was one of the, my favorite team and pretty good football player as well. Mm-hmm. Really good football player. But uh, and Hall of Famer, first ballot Hall of Famer. Total, total Hall of Famer. I mean, mm-hmm. it's you could tell too. You know, I I played against him, and Jeff George was the quarterback, and he fumbled a a, uh, a shotgun snap, and I'm like, oh, we're going to get a sack, and he just picked it up and hauled it as far down the sideline as he possibly could, and I'm like, oh, well, he's throwing it away, and Randy caught up to that thing for a touchdown. There was no way he was going to catch anyone else would that would have been an incompletion. Randy just cruised past our DB, went down. I think it was Terrence Shaw, too, who was one of our good DBs. Randy just picks that thing and runs in the end zone. I'm like, oh, my God, I've never seen speed like that in my life. It was fantastic. (laughs) Well, that's what you have to do to catch a pass from Jeff George. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. And, I mean, you know, there was a lot of those guys over my career. You just go, that's one of the best athletes I've ever seen in my life. Fantastic. But we really appreciate you joining us, Darren. We know you're a busy guy. I hope your knees get better. We definitely like to talk to you again. I know you're a busy guy. Thank you for joining us. Appreciate it, guys. Thank you. Darren Bennett, ladies and gentlemen, former Chargers and Vikings punter and maybe future Hall of Famer. We'll see. I yes. mean, 
Hopefully uh, this ripple effect of punters starts yes, like it should. It, it's for ridiculous. Sure. I, I don't understand the NFL. I really don't. I, I've, I've watched the NFL for years. We've watched so many big punters. He was, uh, Darren was talking about it, how many punters were in the league. And, and, and we were talking about Fiegel and all the different guys. I met Fiegel. Um, he was at um, Hurricanes, and he was signing autographs at Hurricanes. Mm-hmm. And one of the guys told me to come down there and interview him. And I had the opportunity to interview him. One of the nicest guys you'll ever meet. You wouldn't, you couldn't even tell he was an NFL player. He was sitting there because he's a punter. Nobody knows. I mean, he's just a tall, scrawny, skinny guy, but very, very nice guy. And his wife was very sweet too. So, very, very nice family. And uh, punters deserve a lot more respect than they deserve. That they've been treated in the NFL in the past. So, uh, Darren's a nice guy. He really is, and uh, we really appreciate his time. <clears throat> Um, two really good guests, by the way. Yes. Very good guests. Darren was fantastic. So was, uh, Alan Poopar, but uh, I don't know if he'll ever come out again after I, uh, I, hey, listen, I'll sit here and I'll say it how it is. I'm not going to sit here when somebody's telling me that the, he thinks that a team won after giving up five players for one and saying that that, that guy is much better in the playoffs than the other guys, which is not true. We'll find out if, if Tachuk has it's not that, true. If that's Tachuk has a big leap, then maybe it is. But yeah, he's on, played on in, paper. It definitely looks a little fishy. Pa- he played in twenty-seven games in, in in the NHL playoffs. He only has fifteen points. Is that really that good? No, it's not. It's just it's very small for negative a young player, eleven. Yeah. Negative eleven. That's not good. I mean, it's, I mean, like you were saying earlier. Granted, though, he had no goal setting that whole playoffs. It doesn't but, matter. But still, it, it, yeah, it's still it's still unknown yet. For and a he's not a leader. He, has he ever been a leader? I know we don't know yet. We haven't seen it yet. What is that, Jeff, right <laughs> yeah, now? Yeah, it is Jeff. All but... right, Jeff, what's going on, man? Dude, I'm absolutely losing my mind at at the stupidity. By the way, Darren, great guy. That guy's awesome. Yes, yes he was. You guys, you, you guys got to have him on every week or something. The, the Australian accent, classic. Like, just classic. Like, the story's awesome. What a great dude. Mm-hmm. Like, the best dude. Yes. Right? But I'm absolutely losing my mind. Absolutely. Let me ask you a question before we get into this. What is a lot of money to be making for a baseball player per year? What was the question? I'm sorry, Jeff. Uh, Say that again. What is a lot? What is a lot of money to be making as a baseball player per year? Per year. What is a lot? Uh, um, What's a a lot? um, 30 million, 32 million. Okay, so you're in the 30s, and mm-hmm. that'd be a lot. Mm-hmm. Okay, so you're just in the 30s. Mm-hmm. I just want to circle back to something that idiot Josh said. <laughs> oh, how can they afford it when they're paying Tatis all this money? Let me break this down for you. Tatis this year making $5 million. Next year, he makes $7 million. The year after that, $11 million. 2025, $20 million. 2026, $20 million. 2027, 25 million, and 2028, 25 million. We haven't even gotten into a lot of money yet. He makes below the, he finally cracks 30 million. He'll go to 36 in the year 2029. By that time, Manny Machado's contract is off the books. You Darvish's contract will be gone. Eric Hosmer's is gone in three years. And uh, who's the other? Uh, Joe Musgrove, they just signed 20, 20 million a year for the next yeah, five, five years. Yeah, five years, 100, yeah. Right. So to say that they can't afford him, and oh, I don't know how they're doing it. Oh, they're paying Tatis so much money. No, they are not. No, they're not. They're not paying him any money until 2028. So this misnomer of how they pay in this guy, 
It's stupid. It's absolutely foolish. They can afford all the money in the world to Soto because other contracts come off the books and they don't pay Tatis anything, really, until 2028. $20 million a year that he gets four years from now or whatever, mm-hmm. that's Josh Donaldson money. You can afford that. So are you going to say, oh, well, we can't afford Giancarlo Stanton because Josh Donaldson is on the team? No. <laughs> He doesn't make any money. Stop with the foolishness about, oh, he's making so much money they can't afford him. Stop with the nonsense. I will say this, and I, I would say, and we talked about this, and I, and we bat, we're back and forth, and you, you, you broke it down with the the contracts and stuff like that. So I could, I could absolutely understand your feelings towards what Josh was saying. How how you have uh, you know Tatis making the three hundred thirty three hundred forty million dollars, but it's spread out enough where he's he's making it on the back end. So if right, it, right. It, he back end, so the, so this is the thing mm-hmm. they back ended his contract. They could front load Soto's and it would just balance out, wouldn't it? They right. better do that. And I Hosmer's think that would be the contract, best thing. And Hosmer's contract is up in three years, and yes, San Diego is still going to have to pay him, but it's only for three more years. Mm-hmm. Until then. Who cares? Uh, Who cares? And that's why I think they will re-sign Juan Soto. I, I, I do. I, I, it's, it's hard to believe you give up six prospects or what was it, six? Yeah. Six prospects. Well, four and, prospects and two other players. And, and, yeah. and four, pro, four, three out of the four prospects are in there. Uh, they're top 10 or top 15. Uh, and and they, they had the best farm system in baseball. Yeah, it was their so, number really? one, number three prospects. Mm-hmm. And then and then uh, one other pitching prospect, the Mackenzie Gore just came up only recently, was previously a top ten prospect in baseball. Right. And then Abrams was just a first-round pick. He was the same draft as Beatty. Mm-hmm. I think he was a, either a pick before or pick that pick after. He was the number six at the start of the season. So, yeah, that's a lot. So they gave up a lot. And, and, and that's and why. I, I hate to drive this point home some more. Okay. But by the time. Is making any money, which will be 36. That's year 2020. The salary cap would have gone up. The the luxury tax they're going to make go up because of the contracts are going up and they're getting more money. So even that 36 million by the time he gets it probably won't seem as much as if he were getting it today. I, I think you, I think you're right about that. And I, again, I don't always think you're right, and I argue with you from from top to bottom. I I can't see you know in two years. I expect in the off season. Uh, to San Diego, I mean uh, L.A. Oh, no, it's San Diego. I'm yes. sorry, San Diego Padres to come to an agreement with uh, with Juan Soto and give him the extension. Right. He's going to make between four hundred and fifty five hundred million dollars. He's going to be the highest right, paid but, player. In- but this is what's funny because here's the argument: because in two years, when Soto's contract is up, that's when Tatis will be making twenty million dollars a year. Do you think? And and so now let's just go back to the previous analogy that I had. Are the Yankees prohibited from signing Allen Judge because they're paying Josh Donaldson $20 million? Donaldson has another $20 million, and they still have Stanton playing left field, and he's making 30 whatever million, right? Mm-hmm. So, oh, I guess the Yankees can't afford Judge, right? Just by jo- Josh's logic, oh, how are they going to pay? Isn't making any money until 2028. So stop the nonsense. I think Josh is just sitting back. I think he's really upset. The Mets gave him an offer. And uh, I, and I told this to Josh before this even happened. I said the Mets could offer him whatever they want. There is no way in hell Rizzo is trading uh, Juan Soto to a division team. He's not going to do it. And I said this over and over and over again for the last past weeks when all the Mets fans said we're going to get Juan Soto. They're not getting Juan Soto, and the Padres will not let Juan Soto go to free agency. They're not going to do that. They're not. Here's my uh, here's my other problem with what he said. Just one more problem with what he said. 
in mentioning the prospects that he likes for the Mets, mm-hmm. okay, he's like, oh, Vientos and Baby, they're major league ready. Well, if they were all that fucking major league ready, why were they still looking for a bat? Why wouldn't they just plug one of the young kids in because they could do the job because they're major league ready, right? They're in the minors because they're not ready. And the chances are they're probably not even really any good. We talked about this earlier. People trading prospects. Oh, we want prospects. 98% of fucking prospects are dog shit. They never come up. You're trading nothing for proven players. How many prospects actually pan out? If you have 10 of them, probably three of them. Not even. For instance, the Yankee prospects over the last, we've talked about this, over the last five years, three or four of them turned out to be good. Let's talk about the famous one. Oh, the one that was really good, Justice Sheffield. How's he doing? Well, Dog shit. Well, well, he, he wasn't he the wasn't, only one. We he, were, wasn't, he wasn't the Yankees' prospect. He was the Cleveland right, Indians. Okay, Andujar. Yeah. Terrible. Clint well, Andor, well Andor got hurt, but Andor was a, a Rookie of the Year candidate. Right. He lost <laughs> out to Otani, which yeah. isn't a bad thing to do. Yes. Great. He, he, great. He was good when they knew nothing about him, but once they could, they could figured out that they could strike him out just by throwing a fastball, that's what they did. And now he's dog shit. Right? <laughs> the one prospect the Yankees have had that has worked out is Ben Glad Torres. Credit to you. You said he was going to be very good, and he is. Clint Frazier, Ian Duhar, Gary Sanchez, Justice Sheffield, deli- uh, the list could go on and on and on and on. They're all dog shit. One guy made it out of 100. So uh, you're trading six prospects. Big deal. The Carl, Carl said something. I said Josh came on a di- as a disappointing fan, not as an objective viewer. And I would um, I would agree with Carl as well. I Listen, I know Josh could say whatever he wants. He's not happy with what the Mets did uh, at the trade deadline. And if you're a Mets fan today, and I told you, Jeff, I don't think the Mets are going to make the big trade. You thought J.D. Martinez was going to be traded to them. I thought, yeah, I thought they were, they were going to get Martinez. They, they, instead, Darren Ruff killed that because they went and got Darren Ruff instead. Yeah, I, I think that if you're a Mets fan sitting here today, my first mo- my beginning monologue is, I wouldn't be happy because you saw the Padres, even the Dodgers. Is Joey Gallo a big move? No. No, he's like the fourth guy off the bench. Yeah, it's not a big move, but the Dodgers are really – the Mets were are missing bullpen arms. And, yes, they added maybe one or two bullpen arms, but they're not bullpen arms that you're going to be like, oh, those are the guys that are going to take us to the next level. Right. They're not. And, but, and, but and that's what's so shocking about his take to me, right, is, is – the, the Mets have, no offense, media, I know you're a Mets fan. The Mets are dog shit, right? And they've been dog shit for a decade now, okay, right? Like, they're terrible. You now have a team that's really good, that I really like, that has a chance of winning. And all of a sudden, you don't want to get a proven bat because you're afraid of the woulda, coulda, shoulda if one of these dumb prospects might be good. Dude, take your shot while you have it. You haven't been here since 86, mm. okay? So take your shot while you have it, dummies. Yeah, and I was less annoyed about the bats as much as I was annoyed with the pitching. They needed some kind of pitching depth. They brought in Vogelbach to be a hitter. Darren Ruff, who's another lefty type power bat. Those are guys Jeez, that are Vogelbach. Hey, he, Jesus, he, he's what a he, fat pig. Well, yeah, <laughs> he's reached he's reached base a lot so far. Well, hopefully that keeps up. We'll see. But yeah, he, but the relief pitching is what I'm more mad at though because it's not like the pitchers got stolen by other teams or other teams overpaid for him. Outside of David Robertson, none of the other big names got traded. Like the but, Mets couldn't do a last second push for somebody better than Michael Givens. Right, but but here's but here's the problem with that thinking. And just hear me out on this because I've said this to Errol several times, and he wants to fight me on it every time. You don't need relievers. You don't. They need depth, it's, though. They don't have. I, I didn't even care if it was stop. starting. It was starting. It was pitching depth. No, no, they don't. No, they don't need the depth. They don't because they already have the depth. 
because when the playoffs start, because this is what we're talking about in the playoffs, right? Yeah. Do you have a five-man rotation? If you say yes, I'm going to punch you when I see you. No, you don't have a five-man rotation. Your rotation goes to three people. So guess what? Your fourth starter and your fifth starter, they head to the bullpen. There's your depth. But they, but the problem is they don't have a, other good back-end relievers to help that. Yes, Chris Bassett or Tyler guys, McGill, whatever is involved all in that. All of those guys get pushed back. Right. You're getting but, two really good players added to that bullpen. And they, dude, the Red Sox had Chris Sale close a World Series game. Right. Which is they understandable. I'm not close a World Series game. It's less it's less formal than it usually is, and I agree with that point completely. That's why I said just said pitching depth. They didn't have to be strictly one reliever. The thing I the Mets lack though big time is left handers, and they they had to DFA Chase and Shreve at the beginning of the year because he was he had that first great month, and then he's been terrible since then. They brought in Joely Rodriguez, who hasn't been anything good this year, and they now they have to transition David Peterson as their only other lefty into the bullpen now that Degrom's back. That was a big problem for them and they didn't even it didn't seem like they even even tried and also too the rest of their relievers yeah they are good names on paper but they haven't been great in the last two years as Mets Seth Lugo has not bounced back yet he had that one good start good out against the Yankees but that's really been it Trevor May's been up and down with injuries hasn't pitched well as a Met yet so there's just a lot of unknown yes I understand they have the starting pitching depth that can transition into the bullpen I just don't know if there's any guarantees the roles are going to be there it doesn't hurt to try to also go after other relievers too you're right you're right Jeff they might try that strategy mm-hmm. Buck Showalter might say all right Chris Bassett let's go out for the seventh inning and uh pitch two innings to get to Diaz. They might try that. I'm not denying that. I, I love but, that for postseason but, strategy. But, but but every team does it, and, and every year everybody ignores the bottom two stars, and really it's bottom three stars, because you guys have uh-huh. a sixth guy that they, right. you don't even really use. Those bottom three guys, they get moved to the bullpen. So you're going to all of a sudden just find depth where you go, oh, we had no depth, but there it is right in front of you. No, I get it. I, I love it from a strategy standpoint, and I I hope the Mets do that kind of thing in the playoffs because it absolutely is a good idea. And that's how we've seen teams win World Series that have, quote-unquote, bad, pure bullpens in the past. The Nationals being one, uh, one of them. We saw we saw the Astros, even though they cheated, technically do it with their with their pitchers. Oh, stop it. Everyone's cheating. Okay, so I understand it. that. But that doesn't have to do with their pitchers anyway. It has to do with their hitters. They use starters out of the bullpen, too. Yeah, it's a new trend. The Cubs did it a little bit in 2016 when they won the World Series. Joe Madden's very creative with that kind of stuff. I'm not denying it from that standpoint, but from a front office standpoint, I just don't like the, like, I guess, lack of effort in terms of pushing for something harder than Michael Givens. Daniel Bard, Andrew Chafin, any of those guys were available and they didn't do it. And definitely, even whether it's a starter or a reliever, get more lefty depth. They have two lefties on the team. That's where I think that you have a good point. If you're lacking a left-handed arm, okay, then fine. Then you have a point to be made. But, Still, from my perspective, every team is complaining about depth, and they're not realizing their starters are going to get moved to the bullpen. Like, your fifth starter is now a long reliever. Mm. You know what I'm saying? Like, oh, your your starter can only go four innings? Great. We got Joe Blow here that's going to do the, the fifth and the sixth. That happens every year with every team, and why is it everyone ignores it? Well, I like it from a strategy standpoint, but I still think the front office could have at least tried to do more mm. than they did, I think. Well, that might be fair. Like, you have a point with the left-handed arm, but every yeah. team is going to have that depth. Even the Yankees, I talked about this with, with Errol. It's going to be it's going to be uh, Nestor Cortez. It's going to be Garrett Cole and, I don't know, someone else. Montas now. Montas is going to be right, another right. Okay, maybe, maybe Montas, right? Yeah. Those are going to be their three starters. It's going to go to a three-man rotation. Kion and whoever else will be there will be bullpen help or an extra lever. Or right. if they need 
a spell starter, that'll be one of them. That's where the depth comes from. Well, yeah, they're they're going to be do they're going to have a depth from openers, guys that could be in different then, roles too. Now, again, the other thing too is there's no guarantee those guys could be in those kinds of roles. Now, I'm not as worried about that with the Mets because Bassett has pitched out of the bullpen before in Oakland. Uh, Tyler McGill's a young pitcher that had was in and out kind of as a fringe guy last <clears> year. Now, there's still no guarantee. The playoffs are a whole different animal, and that's where I think I, at least I have another option to make it work rather than those back end relievers the Mets have that aren't that good. Right. Right, they they are a whole different animal, but whether the Mets did something or didn't do something, it wouldn't matter because when you go to this three-man rotation, it means DeGrom and Scherzer are going to pitch four times mm. for you. More than likely, they do. Let's put it this way. They win almost every time they get on the mound, do they not? Well, if the Mets it's, give DeGrom run support, they're yes. Undefeated. They're not undefeated, and I get that. There's a chance that they could lose, but they generally win. Well, they generally yeah. win. If the Mets right? actually give DeGrom run support, which doesn't usually happen, but yeah. Well, but but luckily he's giving up less than one run a game. Yeah. So you don't really need to score all that much. And by the way, that's years past. This team is actually scoring runs now. Yeah, except right? for so except what, for tonight, but yeah. Right. Yeah, I know. They Small screwed sample. me again. They screwed me tonight, man. I, I gave the run and a half because with no bell and no no Soto. I was like, oh, they're going to steamroll him. They laid down and died. Like oh, dogs. yeah. Well, that, that's, a, that's a lesson of the Mets don't hit for Jacob deGrom since um, 2018. <laughs> right, but but think about this. You have two guys that are almost guaranteed. Well, Jake was on the mound tonight? Yeah, he returned tonight, and he gave up one run over pitched, five innings, and the Mets couldn't he score. He really good. It was that yeah. other Jamoke that... No, no, him. yeah, the ghost that came in in the sixth and t- was terrible. Right. right, but this is what I'm saying is generally when those guys get on the mound, and it's not foolproof, it doesn't happen every time, but generally... Those guys pitch really well and, and to low-scoring games. They give up a run or two, which, which will generally win you a playoff game, right, just in general. That means you don't even need a third starter. Any, any win the third starter gives you is a bonus win somehow. Mm. So I think the Mets, even without doing much, are still going to be a quite effective playoff team. They, just could, they, the could, be. Guys, they could be. They could be. I still worry. I still worry. That you sit there right now, they might not even be the best team in the division because the Braves. Uh, I, I do they don't believe. Need to be. Well, they don't need to be. They don't. I think they more need. I think they need home field advantage. The they're they're a good home team. The Mets. They're a very good home team. They I need home field they're advantage. Still gonna make, they're still going to make the playoffs. No, they are. Of course, they're going to make the playoffs. Right. So that's what it's about. Get in the show and and let your horses eat, dude. You know what I'm saying? Like, let DeGrom go. Let Scherzer go. Like, those are the guys that are going to get you far in the playoffs. Like, the regular season is one thing. We need a ton of dudes. The postseason, backups don't even play. Mm. Don't even play. Carl says, it's like the Mets want Vogelbach and Ruff to be the two bats that equal one. Yeah, they're both the same type of player. I know that, Carl. One hits right, he's one. shouldn't even be in the major leagues. He should be a competitive eater. Uh, Carl also says Braves set themselves out to be good for two for for years. Yes, they did, and I think even the the contract they just paid to Austin Riley was a great contract too. Mm-hmm. Ten years, two hundred twelve million. That's twenty one a year. That's pretty good yep. too. That's the Braves have done a very good job managing that team. Alex Anthopoulos has done a fantastic job. Now they trade for Rice Iglesias today, and yeah, they I know they traded Will Smith for Jake Odorizzi. They kind of swapped that, but that's I think a, a win for the net win for the Braves in terms of getting more depth in both areas. <laughs> they made more they they made more moves than the Mets did. <laughs> Yeah, well, doesn't, I think a lot of teams matter. made more moves than the Mets did. Doesn't matter. Don't hit the panic button yet, Speedy. I'm not hitting the panic button. I still think uh, they – I'm more mad at the fact that those relievers didn't get traded anywhere. It, it'd be one thing if 
the Mets had an offer for let, let's say they had an offer for Chafin and the and let's say a team like the Dodgers overpaid for him and they stole. Him. Okay, fine, that's one thing. <laughs> Go anywhere. Well, Jeff. Well, uh, well, I'm glad that I got the chance to talk with you guys and clear that up. I hope the stupidity can finally go away now when people go, how are the Padres affording this? Like idiots, like absolute dummies. Thank you, Jeff. They haven't even seen the contracts. They just go 300 million. That's great. Yeah, he's making 5 million this year. Tatisa's contract is actually more of a bargain than people realize. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Exactly. He doesn't make into the 30s, which was Errol's definition for making good money, right? Until 2028. Mm. 2028. So what are we talking about here? What is the complaint? These stupid people in life just go 300 million and they just assume it's all in one year. Like morons. Was I would hope they don't think that. But... Was Giancarlo Stanton's contract all in one year? No. <laughs> no contract. Thanks, Jeff. Right? All right, boys. Cheers. Go Mets. <laughs> Thank you, Jeff. Jeff from Tampa. How wonderful. Go Mets. I don't, I don't know. I mean, if I, I wouldn't hit a panic button. I mean, you have Jacob DeGrom back. He looks healthy. And if Jake is – if he's healthy and, – and, and I've said this over and over again. Jacob DeGrom is the best pitcher in baseball when healthy. There's nobody even close to him. I, I, I know the Yankees have Garrett Cole. I know the Mets have Max Scherzer. And uh, obviously the Dodgers have their, their, their pick of the litter over there. But I think that I think everybody could agree that Jacob Degrom's the best pitcher in baseball when healthy. So yeah, Jeff's right. Why why are you gonna you're gonna pack in everything because you're you're afraid that the Mets didn't make any move? Uh, where is Kenny? I I don't know what happened to Kenny. Uh, we we wrote to Kenny. Kenny said he was coming on. Mm-hmm. We haven't heard from. Him, but, I don't know. Uh, he'll, I could... he'll come in at any random time, knowing Kenny. He's probably smoking some wax. That's what I think he's doing, but. I'll actually hit Kenny up right now to say where the hell is he, but he did say he was coming on. He kept bothering me today and said he was coming in. All right. Uh, Carl says, Carl says, uh, Josh hit the bitter button. Can Cindergard retool the magic speedy? Again, Cindergard is a great pitcher when he it went comes to Philadelphia to play with Wheeler. That, they got two two ex Mets pitching for the same team now. Yeah, you might as well. It's uh, so funny. Actually. You, might, you, might as well, you, might, you might as well trade. What for a Ste- kawinky dink! You should have you should have completed the trifecta and traded for an injured Stephen Matz. What a well the Mets uh, St. Louis got themselves Montgomery, so they added another you know, yeah New York. They, they got themselves Montgomery because they realized okay one Stephen Matz which was a good hurt. move by the Cardinals. Oh, it was a good move. Yeah. <laughs> one Stephen Stephen Matz is injury prone. Two he struggled this year. I'll so. tell you why the Yankees traded Jordan Montgomery. I like Jordan Montgomery. I think he's a very, he's been the Yankees best uh, uh, playoff pitcher of the last couple of years. I, I think the reason why they gave the Rangers, the, the Rangers, the, the Yankees gave him up was because uh, Herman came back mm-hmm. and uh, Herman pitched very well yesterday. And I think the Yankees believe that Herman is going to be there. They're going to, he'll be back another year. He's, he's on, I think he's contracted for one more year. Right. Um, and they don't need Jordan Montgomery in that rotation now that they added Montez. Yeah, so who they're going to have to pay soon too, yes, so they can't do both. So they can't do both. So they had to get rid of one. They added a, a, an outfielder uh, for for depth with the Yankees needed, and he's a center fielder. Well, you don't have to put Aaron Judge when when the Yankees clinch and they clinch home field advantage. They're probably going to sit if Aaron Judge breaks that home run record over sixty one, which he's on his way to doing. I believe that they're going to sit him. So 
to me, right now they had to give them depth. The Yankees had to have depth in that outfield where they could sit uh, Giancarlo Stanton. They could sit Aaron Judge. They could sit Aaron Hicks. Make sure that their players are healthy for the playoffs. And they added a very good player. I mean, he's a good player. He's a good player. And I think, especially with Aaron Hicks being... Great defensive player. Yep. With Aaron Hicks being as injury-prone as he's been, too, that's another great insurance option for that kind of thing. And again, it also could be down the road, too, because Aaron Hicks is on that longer contract. Maybe they trade him down the road. Bader is that guy that subs in as that defensive center fielder. They could trade Aaron Hicks. He can't stay healthy. His contract is affordable. He's still one of the better outfielders in the league, center fielders. Right. so they can move them. Mm-hmm. They're at $10 million a year. I think a team would take that on for the next, what, five years? I, I he, He's still a fairly good player, and he's a switch hitter. So I, I could see the Yankees doing that. I, the thing is, is that you sit here today and you wonder why the Yankees did that at the end of the tra- the trade trade deadline. I still think, uh, what is he, Carl, Carl saying Bader is garbage. Bader is trash. Yeah, this year he hasn't hit well. Yeah, he hasn't but played well. He has 15 yet. stolen bases, and he's a good defensive center fielder. The Yankees don't need him for power. And also, remember, Aaron Hicks, when he first came to the Yankees, wasn't a massive power hitter either. He developed that. From the, uh, after he w- after he came into the Yankee Stadium, who says Bader can't do the same thing? Bader had seasons of uh, ten plus home runs already. Yeah, that's never been his strength in his career. He's also never stayed healthy enough to accumulate that kind of power numbers either. He's a good guy for. Like Errol was saying, Aaron Judge not having to be worn out in center field all the time because he hasn't gotten hurt yet this year, but that still can happen for a guy that's injury prone in his career. And also a late game guy where they, they a late game center fielder where if the Yankees are up by three four runs in a in a playoff game and they want defense in a bigger park or something like that, yeah. that's a helpful thing for that kind of thing. Dude, he's not a, he's not a superstar. He, no. they, nobody thinks that he is. He's a guy that can get on base. He can steal bases. If the Yankees need a, a guy that can steal bases in the playoffs, they could put Bader in to steal those bases, especially if they're down by one and they're trying to get back into the game. Mm-hmm. So the Yankees are trying to give themselves depth for the playoffs, and, and they got to be ready because, listen, the Yankees are probably going to clinch a playoff spot in the next two to three weeks. They're going to be clinching their playoff spots. And then, you know, to me, what, what uh, the coaching staff's going to have to do is they're going to have to decide, especially Aaron Boone, they're going to have to decide who's, who's sitting and who's playing. Because they got to make sure that these guys are 100% healthy. And they don't want them to go cold, so they got to play consistently enough where they're not going into the playoffs cold. So that's another thing that you know a guy like Aaron Judge needs time, he needs bats, he needs opportunity to swing at those balls. So... I think it's very interesting to see what the Yankees do moving forward. Uh, and and to me, the Yankees made a lot of good moves. If you want to say Bader's trash, I think I think they they had to like even out what they did at, at the trade deadline. They added the pitching depth that they needed. They needed some bullpen help. They added two two bullpen arms, two quality bullpen arms. Uh, they added the pitcher that they needed, and now and they added a, they added a couple hitters too. So you sit here right now and you're wondering what the Yankees did, and you think the Yankees, I told you. If if you were to tell me right now the Yankees were one of the top three teams that made the most moves, I would say they you give them an A minus. The team that got an A plus is, I believe, the Padres. Of course, you know, you know because they added Hater, arguably the best closer in baseball. They added one of the top three, top four players in the league in Juan Soto, and they added Bell. I mean, that's not too shabby in a trade, or it gives you another bat in that crazy lineup when Tatis comes back in the next couple of weeks. I mean, look at the look at that lineup right now. I, I mean, Mosgrove, right? You have Mosgrove? Uh, not Mosgrove. Mosgrove's the pitcher. No, I'm sorry, not Mosgrove. Uh, Machado. Who's the, who's the, who's the, the lead, leadoff hitter for them? I think it's Cronenworth. Cronenworth, whatever. You have him, then you have Machado, Tatis, Bell, and Juan Soto. 
I mean, in the middle of your lineup. And I think they're getting Will Myers back. And soon, Will too. Myers yeah. too. I, I mean, that lineup's ridiculous. It's and and you're going to have to pitch to one of those guys. So Juan Soto's going to see more pitches. Machado's going to see more pitches. Tatis is going to see more pitches. So you're going to have to pitch to one of those guys, and they could kill you. So mm-hmm. it's. That that's why a lot of people are looking at this trade to say what well, they're all in and they're absolutely all in yeah. on this. And the, for years, it's always been with the Padres. They've made some big swings. Either who's the fi- I think the favorites are coming out of the National League is that. Yeah, again, we have to see. Still, again, but I also like the Dodgers. Yeah, I I, I, love I, I picked at the start of the season those two teams to meet in the NLCS and. It, the Dodgers probably just with experience. And don't count probably, the Mets out with their pitching. Don't count the Mets out either. But still, the Dodgers might have a little bit of the edge with the experience. But they're also a very new team too. But they also have a lot of depth. Now the Padres, obviously, the playoff kind of thing is unknown. I know Josh was saying on the phone that Hader was in a bit of a slump. Yes, yeah, so the last two weeks he's been in a slump. I understand that. But his value is still something that you don't get in a lot of other relief pitchers too. He's not just a closer. He could be a guy that could stretch multiple innings. He's a guy that could pitch in so many different roles. And he's been so used to that his whole career. He didn't close right away when he came up with the Brewers, it was Corey Knable. And Jeremy Jeffress was there, too. They had other guys. They've stretched him out in openers. And he's a heavy strikeout guy. He's a lefty. Like, there's so much value that Hader brings to that. Oh, Carl has something interesting to ask you. Oh, yes. When was the last time Speedy swung at some balls? Um, Probably last night, ladies and gentlemen. I mean... I don't know what I was doing there. You were swinging at balls last night, right? I don't Nope, I don't have no context of that. Yeah, you weren't swinging at balls last night. I was night? not swinging at any. any Were you balls. swinging at anything last night? Uh, no, not what I can't think of. I can't think of what I would have swung. Were at. you climbing anything last night? Uh, only the stairs. The stairs. Uh, you know, if I uh, you know I strapped a ladder to somebody, you think you climb? I wasn't them? climbing a ladder. Uh, would you climb a horse? I I don't have a horse, but okay. Would you climb a horse? I wanted to ride a horse that badly. Sure. I'm not talking about riding a horse. I'm talking about, well, do you want to ride a horse? It's all right. I don't really care. It's... Do you like horses? I like them, sure. Do you think they're furry enough for you? Do, do they have I as much hair? I don't judge that much standards of furriness of horses. Do you think they have as much hair in on their bodies as you do on your undergarment? Yes. You sure? You sure? I mean, you don't use For any sure. shavers. Okay. For sure. Yeah, I'm just asking. No, horses, horses' hair is thicker than that. Carl <laughs> oh. says, "Save a horse, speedy ride a cowboy." Well, you can ride. Uh, you know, you can ride. Uh, AK the Beef. Oh, what God. do you think about that? You think you'd uh, jump on and get a ride from him? He wouldn't do that anyway. What are you talking about? You don't think he'd give you a ride? Oh my God, no! If I if if I attempted anything of what you're saying, I think he would he give would you punch a ride. me in the face. Well, <laughs> I can't see. Mike couldn't – I don't see Mike punching you in the face. If Mike, I tried something like that, he would. What, riding on him? Yeah, in the context of what you're saying. Carl understands. <laughs> well, you jump on his back and you ride him like a horse? You, yeah. th- you think he'd <laughs> – I think he would try to – maybe he wouldn't punch me in the face, but he'd throw me, he'd throw me off and then maybe do something like You don't think you could take the beef? No. Why not? Really? I think it would be a good match. You win the beef. No, it wouldn't. I, I would give. I, obviously, the advantage goes to the beef. Of course, you know? I'm not. The but uh, but I'm. Why don't you give yourself any credit? Not for that. You know, <laughs> that is called a donkey punch. Thank beef. you, Carl. I didn't need any <laughs> technical details of me getting knocked out. Well, you know what a donkey punch is, right? Congratulations. <laughs> Carl, I don't need that much technical details. Well, i got to give you the technical difficulties. Uh, not, not, it's a technical difficulty, not detail. 
I mean, whatever. Yeah, but do you? I'm want, not doing that much analysis on it. How could you want me to give you the analysis to it? If you, if Carl really cares, sure. Have you ever fertilized an egg before? No. Do you want to fertilize? No. Egg? I, I would feel bad for you. Sorry I mean, to hear that. Fertilizing an egg is good for you know for a man. You know. Congratulations. So you, you would rather not? No. <laughs> Speedy Petey, ladies and gentlemen, he doesn't want to fertilize any eggs, so. Uh, Speedy's trying to find his way. Well, but uh, to finish up with baseball, um, I, I think when we recap what happened today, uh, a lot of moves, a lot of good moves for a lot of different teams. Uh, does it make some teams that absolutely help their contention uh, for the playoffs and possibly a World Series? I would say the three teams that won um, at the trade deadline, the Yankees, the Padres definitely – and who's the other team? I would say the Astros, probably Mancini and Vasquez helping their lineup. Do you really like Mar- Man- Mancini? Has not had a good year. He's had a fine year. Not he's not a massive power numbers of the past, but again, I think hitting lower in the order for the Astros that left field wall. Remember they brought it in in Camden Yards, and it's shorter now in Houston. So I like that. And Christian Vasquez, they the Astros have been struggling for an offensive catcher for a while, probably since their World Series team when they. Had I like what the Cardinals did to Brian today. McCann. Yeah, the card the Cardinals definitely they always do a couple good. a couple good moves here and there. I, it wasn't anything big, but you're right. They have a sleeper Doesn't value. Have to be. No, they have sleeper value type thing where that kind of thing with Montgomery now adding more lefty depth to the rotation because the Cardinals have some good top end pitchers, but they don't really have the depth either. And that goes to a great organization, by the way. St. Louis is a great organization for Jordan Montgomery. Uh, Carl asks, smaller moves with thoughts on the Twins. The Twins made some good, uh, one good move. I think they overpaid a bit for Mally. I think the prospects they gave up in that trade were a lot for a guy in Mally that has some good stuff. Uh, I like the move for Jorge Lopez, though. The Orioles closed with a ton gonna, of nice year. I thought they were going to trade Correa. I, I did. I, I really not did. with them contending. But well, he's going to opt out of his contract, so you're going to lose him anyways in the offseason. You should have gotten as much as you can for him. You're not contending. The Twins aren't beating the Yankees. They're not beating the Astros. They're not contending. Okay, they're not good enough. They they don't. They don't have the bullpen to, to compete with those teams. I can't see it happening. I would have traded Correa because he's going to opt out of the contract next year. And what do you get for him? Nothing. You get nothing for him. I would have traded Carlos Correa. I think I think I think that would have been a great move for them. They could have got a ton of prospects, and the Twins would have set themselves up for you know the next couple of years. I know no prospects or no guarantees, but is it, there any guarantees that the Twins are going to win a series? I, I would I would probably argue they're not. Yeah, there's a lot of, a lot of three three prospects that went back for Mali in that trade. A lot of them are top 100 guys in baseball too. And uh, according to Dan Hayes, a Twins writer for MLB.com, like all three of them have had good minor league years. So that kind of thing for a, a player in Mali that has some good young potential, but how how good is he? year to year is another question. I like the move for Jorge Lopez, though. He's probably been a top five performance-based closer this year for the Orioles, who've been, again, a surprisingly good team. But remember, in those AL East, in that tough division, in that ballpark, you got to think that that's going to be a lot harder for a closer. Now going to and Central. Wa- and watch out for Cleveland and Chicago. I still believe the Chicago White Sox are going to win that division. Possibly. Yeah. I, they're only, like, what, two games Three games behind? back right now. They're yeah. two games right now. Oh, two, two games, games now? Okay. They're two games. Cleveland's one game behind. Mm-hmm. I mean... Minnesota might not even make the playoffs. Well, that's why they had to be and aggressive. That's, that's and, and, and aggressive. I would have traded Correa. I would have gotten whatever I could have for Correa. Because I, I could tell you right now, there would have been teams lining up for Carlos Correa if they put him available. 
a bunch of teams would have. Houston, Houston probably would have traded back for him. I wouldn't be. I wouldn't. Jeremy Pena has played well though at shortstop for them. I'm just saying there would have been a, quite a few teams. I mean, the Milwaukee could have been interested yeah. in him. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Uh, the way San Diego was spending, San Diego could have been very interested in bringing him in. Sure. So I, I, I mean, I, I, I don't understand why you kept it and hold it, held on to him. You're going to lose him in the offseason anyways. And 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 again, the Twins could make the playoffs. There's, they have no chance against the Yankees. They have, they, they've proven that over the years. The Yankees have demolished them in the playoffs. Well, that's why I'm trying to win the division, so they're not a wild card team. <laughs> I mean, are, are they going to beat Houston? Probably not. I mean, Seattle can make the playoffs. Yep. Uh, are they going to beat Seattle? Probably not. I, I just, there are quite a few teams right now that are in a playoff race that I would take over the Minnesota Twins. I don't like. I don't even like that rotation, okay? They got two young pitchers that I like, and then the rest of the rotation is doggy doo-doo, okay? I, I, I don't think they're that good. And, and and the Chicago White Sox should have been in first place all season long, but I'm going to tell you right now, my prediction who's going to win that division is the Chicago White Sox. Carl so. says, all the Twins are trying to do is stay ahead of the White Sox. Someone has to win that division, and uh, Cubs will go after Correa. Well, yeah, I think they know, too, that, one, the White Sox are the more talented team when they're all healthy, and, two, maybe they're taking advantage of the window since they're not healthy this year. They've had so many injuries in their lineup. They've had Lance Lynn's been hurt all year in their rotation. Michael Kopech's in and out with injury, too. So it's just not outside of Dylan C's, there's not a lot they can Terrible, trust. terrible move and, and, and a terrible, terrible loss by the Twins because – I don't even think they're making the playoffs. And I, I, I'm i going to laugh when they get knocked out of the playoffs and they, they're going to lose Carlos Correa because he's going to opt out of that contract. He's going to be expecting more money next year. And he'll probably go to the Cubs. You're right. The Cubs will probably sign him and give him the money that he wants. But he's going to go somewhere else. He's not staying with the Twins next year. I, I never thought that he was. So to sit here today and say, hey, well, you know, the Cubs got the player that, the player that they want. Uh, I mean, uh, the Twins got the player that they want, and they're, they're – they have a chance to win a World Series. They don't have any shot. Not any shot. They're not beating Houston in a, in a, in a seven-game series, and they're not beating the Yankees in a seven-game series. So good luck on that. It's not even close. So I, I, and and he, that's if even if they get into the playoffs. Mm-hmm. Because I still think two teams out of the American League East are coming out. It looks out. that way. Tor- Tampa's been struggling right now, but they're still in the They'll wild card in. spot. Toronto's played very well. They should Toronto be Toronto and now. Tampa will get in with the Yankees. And then it seems like Seattle's that other team right now yep. in the wild card. So, yeah, that, it'll dep- a lot will depend on that division. The White Sox should be better than they are, too. So it, even if it's the Twins and the White Sox, too, gunning it to the end, they might be able to both be in a wild card race. But the problem is, again, the White Sox – they have to get healthy all at once. They have a lot of injuries on that roster they got to overcome. So they got to do it quickly because they're running out of time. And yes, they're only two games back right now, but who says all these guys come back the same too? Eli Jimenez just came back. They got Luis Robert who got, who came Eli back and they got Jimenez. hurt. <laughs> yes. Well, they, he's supposed to come back a big, big, big time last year. Then he got hurt too. Is you like it big? You like it big? Depends on what it is. Do you like it big? Depends on what it is. I'm it, asking you. Do you it, like it's it not big? a specific word. But it is. It's, a, it's a, a specific word for me. Do you like it big? For you? Yes. What? Do you like it big? Are you, are you, so you're asking if I like you big? No, what? I didn't say me big. I said, do you like <laughs> it big? What are you saying? <laughs> do you like it big? Depends on what it is. <laughs> uh, do you like cake? It's all right, depending on what type of cake. Do you like big cake? Again, depends on what type of cake. Do you like cake? Depends on the flavor. Uh, it doesn't matter what the flavor. Do you yes, like it? Yes, it does. Do you like big cake or not? Oh, God, I'll say no. Just... <laughs> so you don't like cake? 
Most, a lot of types, no. You like uh, poutine cake? I don't know what that is. You've never had poutine cake. I don't, yeah, I never heard of that. Do you want poutine cake? I never heard of do it. You I have no try, idea what it is. Do you want to try poutine? I don't know what it is. But I'm, I'm offering it to you. Do you want poutine? I'm cake? not going to try something. I don't know what it is. <laughs> you might as well try it so you know what it is. Oh my god! <laughs> what what's wrong with that? You, you don't want? Poutine? I'm not trying something doing some of these mysterious tastes. I, 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 why not? It's not bad. It's not going to kill you. Okay, you're not gonna choke on it. I didn't say it was gonna. Sound ch- like a kangaroo. I didn't, I didn't say you. I'm were, not asking you to eat a kangaroo. I'm not implying you're trying to kill me. I'm just saying that. Do you want poutine cake? I have no idea. But it, I'll err on the side tasty. of no. It's tasty. I'll err on the side of no. Being I don't know what it is. Okay. How about whipped cream? You like whipped cream? It's all right. You don't like. What do you like? I like chocolate cakes. Chocolate cake. So imagine rubbing chocolate cake on a horse's ass. Would you no, eat it? No. Why? Like Why would I care about rubbing it on a horse? But ass. it's interesting. You, no, it's not. So you don't like chocolate cake then? Because if you like My chocolate God. cake, it wouldn't matter to you. I would hope the restaurant's not dumb enough to rub it on a horse's ass before they serve it to customers. But okay. Would you rather tell... eat doggy doo doo yeah. on a horse's ass, or would you like chocolate cake? That's disgusting. <laughs> I'm Those just asking. Gross scenarios. I guess I'll go with the cake. <laughs> Of course you would. I mean, I... well, yeah. One is gross without the good part, and one <laughs> without the good dessert, and the other one's gross just in general. Everything's gross to you. I mean, anything I tell you is gross. I mean, it, it doesn't make sense to you half the time. And when I ask you the question, you throw it off like it's nothing. So it, it doesn't make any sense half the time. Anyways, when when I ask it to you, anyways, ah. Uh, uh, Man, Debo Samuels gets a three-year, $71.5 million contract, ladies and gentlemen. He finally gets the extension that he's been craving for. Um, What does this do for him? Well, it makes him and it gives him the highest guaranteed money in NFL history. Uh, We were talking about what, uh, what's his name again? Metcalf. Metcalf got. And then he outdo, he act out, well, the San Francisco 49ers outdid the Seattle Seahawks. And uh, gave get more guaranteed money uh, to Debo Samuel. So shout out to Debo Samuels. He deserved it. Much deserved. Mm-hmm. I mean, special player. And um, we were talking about the Jets making a trade. They were thinking about moving him. What the hell were they thinking? I mean, and and, and it's it, it's good. He he got the three year deal. That's probably the only contract he's ever going to get, or any big contract he's ever going to get in history, because. He's been beaten up so much over the last couple of years. By you know, three years from now, if he gets all that money, uh, his career could be over. Yeah, know? and I'll, I read something too. There was actually a clause. Remember, because he wanted to not be used as a running back as often yeah. as they did too. Where he actually got some incentives built in. If he get three hundred eighty rushing yards, there's an extra bonus, and then three touchdowns, rushing touchdowns, is a bonus too. So I think it's actually fair for what the 49ers are doing too. They only gave him the three year deal to see how it plays out. Because you're right, he had a lot of injury issues in 2020. He only played six games, and last year was where worn out, having to be the second half essentially running back. It wasn't mm. really used as much of a receiver because they had all those running backs. So now, hopefully, for the 49ers' sake, they get those running backs healthy so they don't have to use them in that kind of role either. But $58 million guaranteed, ups the Metcalf contract, got $24 million in signing bonus, too, which is not far behind what Metcalf Signing bonus for the speedster. Well, I'm not getting paid. I'm not Debo Samuel. Do you want to get that kind of money? I'm what would you do? I'm not an NFL player. What would you do? With I'm not an NFL player. What would you player? do for $58 million? Could you tell us? Uh, tell the fans what you would do with $58 million. Oh, I, before, I, before, before he— would you, would you buy a whorehouse? A warehouse? A whorehouse. Oh Would you buy it? Absolutely not. What? <laughs> not. That's a good investment. 
yeah, it's not something I care about enough to do that. I'm not. It's I'm, money. I'm, I'm, it's money. It's a yeah. Good I'm not. I'm not doing fini- financial finagling. <laughs> you do it in Vegas. You. Like, <laughs> I'm not wasting fifty-eight million dollars in Vegas. No. Yeah. <laughs> I the said, house always wins. No, I'm not. To- I'm talking about. <laughs> I'm telling you to go to Vegas and buy a whorehouse. I'm not buying a whorehouse. Why not? I'm not investing in that. Um. By the way, Char- uh, Carl says uh, when Speedy was hosting last week, I thought maybe Harold won the Mega Millions. Oh yeah. <laughs> Are you gonna go buy a whorehouse if you win a lottery? You're damn right, I will. All right, there you go. So I, don't absolutely, worry about me. it's. Uh, by the way, uh, Carl says clearly Speedy wouldn't be a silent. I'm not doing now. any kind of finagling. I'm not doing. What any is of that. finagling? If I told you that, I didn't say you. I just any of that. If you concept. made that kind of money, you wouldn't buy a whorehouse that's going to make you money. No, I'm Why not. I, uh, Fifty-eight million is a lot of money as it is. I don't need a whorehouse to go with it. You take care of that. I don't want a freaking whorehouse to go with it. Why not? I'm not you interested double... in that life. <laughs> You can double the money. I don't care. Then what's the point of having money if you're not going to spend it? I don't it? want it on a freaking whorehouse. <laughs> I'm not. That's not me. It's not. It doesn't have to be you. You don't even have to go to the whorehouse. Even though I think you'd be I don't one need of the best to be, customers. I don't need to be affiliated with one. No, I wouldn't. <laughs> you wouldn't be one of the best customers? Absolutely not. It would be your whorehouse. I don't care. <laughs> no, Carl. I'm not finagling for that either. <laughs> oh, Speedy, you're one piece of work. Deshaun Watson suspended for six games. Uh, it came out Tuesday, last Tuesday. I think it was Tuesday or Wednesday. Mm-hmm. It came out that um, the NFL had come, you know, come to uh, an agreement uh, on the suspension, which was six games. And I, I know a lot of people are sitting here and telling and, and arguing that he was lowballed, uh, that that he should have gotten more. I, I I really believe the NFL looks at the big picture, and there is the, they investigated the whole story, and it's it really turned to a civil case. None of it is criminal, and you cannot suspend a guy for a season like everybody thought. Josh thought he should be suspended for a whole season. How many people have said this? You can't suspend a guy for a whole season when they're when they're investigating. You didn't find anything that he did fully wrong. Now, uh, what did Deshaun finagles with the ladies and only got six games? Yes, Deshaun did a lot of finagling. We know that. He did finagling, but he admitted to what he did with the three ladies, and he has proof on the three ladies. And and the other ladies that supposedly got money and got paid off, they had nothing. There was nothing. He just didn't want to go to court. He doesn't want to deal with it. Listen, he wants to go back and play football. He just made his money. He wants to get back on the field. He hasn't been on the field for two years. He's away from the Texans. Thank God that Houston Texans team was nothing nothing but going <laughs> to well, ruin they, that guy's They career. were another joke to begin with. <laughs> I, I mean, he goes to a Cleveland Browns team. Are they good? I, I think they got talent. Mm-hmm. I mean, but talent doesn't win ball games. But if you have a quarterback as good as Deshaun Watson, and if he can keep his you-know-what you know in his pants and stay out of the whorehouses that Speedy owns, no. um, you're, you're put in a very good position to succeed. What are you saying? Oh, for I said no. What Deshaun do you mean, Watson no? only does massage therapists. So, so he goes, well, you can you can start your own massage, massage therapists are much more evolved. All right, so would you do that? Would you buy your own massage therapist player? You know, happy endings. We'll call it happy endings with Speedy. Oh Speedy's God. happy endings. What? We'll call it Speedy. That happy makes endings. no sense. You know, what? What? Speedy's happy endings. No. 
Wide, why not? That is That's a great name. Speedy's oh happy gosh. endings. Uh, Carl says the wide receiver. Gets I would, I would, I would like to ask Jeff if he would go to Speedy's Happy Endings. Carl, would you go to Speedy's Happy Endings if mm. uh, he had a, he opened up a store, you know, massage parlor? Okay. I don't know. It's my question. I mean, I'd go. I mean, it it might be worth it for me. I Carl, mean, I get a discount, right, Speedy? Maybe. Well, what Carl, do you mean, maybe? You I, I, I don't know the processes. Carl says the wide receiver gets a year a for a bet. Speedy ending. I, I like that. Carl says the wide receiver gets a year for a bet. Watson gets six games. Well, this the policies are what has been constructed from this exact Supreme Court, or not Supreme Court, the last court case they had last week, where Deshaun Watson didn't get any more than the six game minimum for the domestic abuse because it wasn't there wasn't anything found that it was violent was what was it what was being reported in that. Now whether that's all true or not is still to be another determining. There's going to be another determining meeting with the NFL uh, this week. So the six games is right now, I guess, a little bit set in stone, but it's still not greatly set in stone yet because they're looking at a lot of those policies. But what they're saying is it's a lot like what Ray Rice went through where he only got the two games at the time, but since then they updated the policies where guys like Ezekiel Elliott got the six games. Kareem Hunt got a lot of games. I think he got ten. So... They have to find more evidence in order to raise the suspension in order for them to do that because they claim it wasn't violent. And so they were making it parallel to those two things. So I think that's why they ended up being it. Calvin Ridley, yeah, I'm still surprised at that kind of thing, but I think there's a stipulation in the you NFL bet on PA. Sports. I think there's some kind of stipulation with the NFL PA that yeah. is going to get changed in a couple of years when they redo it because now gambling is legal. But yeah, he was just on the right. Uh, I think. He was at the wrong game. I think we should reach out to Calvin Ridley, and he should go into partners with you at a speedy ending. What do you think? Oh, my God. What do you think? He's got money. I know that. So you wouldn't. You <laughs> act like I want to do this. Yeah. I'm sure there's somebody that does. <laughs> if there's anyone interested in that kind of thing that wants to invest with $58 million. Would you sell million. your name? Would you spell it? No! <laughs> Why not? I'm not selling anything like that. <laughs> you don't even know what a happy ending is. Yeah, and I don't want to be affiliated with that kind of thing. Because if you and Carl are bringing it up, I would you would you go into business with Robert Kraft? Oh my God! <laughs> All right, compromise here. Robert Kraft, Calvin Ridley, and any listeners that want that somehow that if they win a lottery <laughs> can go into that. Well, kind Robert of thing. Kraft is a billionaire. He doesn't need a. I didn't say Robert Kraft. I said anyone listening, mm-hmm. if they somehow win a lottery, mm-hmm. Calvin Ridley, Robert Kraft, and them could do and do something like that with you. Not with me. The, you're involved with it. Oh, my God. You, get, you, you can get. have the idea. I'm compromising with you. So you wouldn't. I'm not involved. <laughs> <laughs> How about Deshaun Watson? Would you help him out? Why does Deshaun Watson need help? <laughs> He's clearly done it with 20 whatever women. But you're PD. He's a one-eyed Petey's one-eyed parlor. What do you think about that? I don't know what that means. I'm hoping it's a pirate term because I'd rather be there at that point than a whorehouse. <laughs> a pirate term. I'd be like the Goonies. I could be one-eyed Speedy. You, you, you're definitely one-eyed. That's for sure. <laughs> I'd rather wear an eye patch and reference everything. Well, you do. Every, every guy wears an eye patch, you know? You're you know? wearing an eye patch right now. Well, you have two heads, right? Oh, so now I'm, so now, so now I'm some like mythical mythical creature. <laughs> well, you are a mythical creature. You're Speedy Petey, okay. and uh, you, uh, if you won the Mega Millions, I think you should invest it into mythical a creatures don't, Mythical creatures don't win lotteries. I, I think lotteries you, didn't exist. I think you would be a very in the times of mythological creatures, lotteries. Why didn't exist. would you think that you wouldn't be a good owner at a whorehouse? 
I, I'm not saying I couldn't own that, but I'm not good with that stuff. I, I, you get somebody to help you run it, but you make money off that, right? Okay, uh, why can't they just do it with their own money? <laughs> because you're, you're – I'm just saying, in, in the parallel – It's your money. Okay, so hypothetically, somebody wins a $58 million lottery – because that's where it all stemmed from, Debo Samuel's contract. $58 million, they win a lottery. Ten, ten random people win that lottery. I'm sure they're much more qualified for that. But you wouldn't buy a Maybe whorehouse. more interested, too. But I don't understand how you wouldn't buy a whorehouse. Why would I care about buying a whorehouse? I don't want to be exposed to that. Exposed to what? Nobody will know that. That lifestyle! <laughs> You're investing money into a whorehouse. Yeah, and I don't need to be a part of that. I think you... Should if you if you have fifty eight million dollars, I think Jeff would be a part of it. I think Carl. All right, would be a if part Jeff wins fifty eight million dollars and he wants to go buy a whorehouse, he can do that. Uh, if Carl wins fifty eight million dollars in a lottery and he wants to Carl go buy a says, whorehouse, I could see Speedy handling the management of the whorehouse like Brian Creston's character at Breaking Bad. I think you would be great. I really do. You show up. I'm not. The- I don't want to be a part of that kind of thing. <laughs> what? It's a good investment. Maybe it is. I don't know. I. It's possible that it could be. So fifty-eight million dollars. You. I'm invest- not going into that much detail with that kind of thing. <laughs> what do you think your parents would say if you you got in you know getting involved with something like that with an? With would, a- I have no idea, but I wouldn't be positive. I know that. And why not? You're making money. What What would be bad about that? I, if I have $58 million, <laughs> I could do – there would be a lot more other pursuits it than is a freaking whorehouse that I'm not going to be comfortable with. <laughs> it's recession-proof, Carl says. First of all, it's not. Second of all – What do all, you mean it's not? What are you talking about? There, you can get taxed in lottery tickets. You can't get taxed in, in Vegas on a whorehouse. Yes, you can. No, you cannot. It's an investment. Uh, it, it, it's it's a no-tax state. So no tax. Day. All right, fine, whatever. I don't care. So, <laughs> nevertheless, fifty eight million dollars. Fifty eight million dollars. You take, lot of, it, take twenty million and put, not, invest it into a. All house. right, and and if yeah, I'm not doing that. You could double your money in two years. I I don't care. Fifty eight million dollars. I think it would be a great investment. Why, I'm sure you do. Do you want me to manage it for you? No. Why? Why not? You can manage your own whorehouse. But you're the one that won the fifty eight no, million. No, if you win fifty eight million dollars, you can go get one. <laughs> oh my god. You I'm can just... all right, I'll I'll fine. This is the compromise. I just asked I'll you. even let you do Petey's one eyed parlor. I'll even let you do that name if I'm not involved. You have to be No, involved. I'm not. You have to be the face of the parlor. No, I don't. You're Speedy Petey. I said you could use the name. Why would I use the name if you? Because it could be tra- it could be translated so many different ways. It doesn't have to be directly one person. I want you to sign autographs. No, that is never going to happen. Hey, you signed a couple of boobies and you're ready to go. I'm not doing that. Why not? I am not being affiliated as somebody known for that. <laughs> There's a local joint that applied for a COVID stimulus money and rebranded as a better place. The whorehouse is recession-proof, not the lottery winnings. There you go. So you're, you're in good shape then. Okay. Again, a, I'm not investing in that. I think it's a good investment for you. Congratulations. If you win $58 right. million. Dollars, we'll hire your mother to run My it. mother is not getting involved in that either. <laughs> 
Well, we'll call it Speedy. No! We'll call it she is Speedy's. Not. Okay. Is a, I, I, and we'll have her run the organization. No! Why? She is not going to want to do that either. Well, if she comes in as a like manager. Like even a hundred times less than me. If she comes up as a manager. She won't care. No, she doesn't have to. We'll bring you. You'll have to come in and help. No! Why? If your mom's going to get involved with it. You're telling me your mom wouldn't get involved with no. something that's going to make her millions of dollars? No. That's she doesn't all. care enough about the money to go forward with that concept. <laughs> Carl says, speaking of stimulus, Speedy swinging balls with it, big or small, is stimuli enough for you. Uh, I, I would say plural? yes. I would give it. Right, I, I would give it an A plus on that one, teacher, Carl. But I would give that an A plus, Carl. Yeah, I'm sure right you there. would. Mom could work the front of the house. That's right. She could be the secretary. She could have, you Why know. Why would I do that? Why wouldn't you do that? It's money. Why would I make her work as a secretary? She's making, she, she's the manager. She's the front end manager. So why would she be a secretary? She, she, when the guys come in and they want to pick the girls, they got to go through her first. Yeah, there's a difference between a manager and a secretary. All right, so she's a manager secretary. Okay. Okay. So she's got to work the desk. Weird. She's the manager. What is it weird? What's so weird about that? She's working the desk. She's the secretary, and she's a manager of the whorehouse. Oh God. Uh, you know, she's the one that when the guys come in, like guys like Jeff, who's horny as hell, and he wants to pick out the girls. You know, she's got to. You know, she isn't gonna want to be involved in anything <laughs> like that. <laughs> what if she's making millions off of it? She's not gonna care. Remember, I have $58 million in this hypothetical. I, well, it's not hypothetical. I, I think it's Did a, I win a lottery yet? No. Then, until then, it's hypothetical. All right, so if you won the lottery... I'm not doing a freaking whorehouse! <laughs> Carl says, easy, Errol. Do you mean this, she works as secretary or plays secretary? She can do both if she wants. <laughs> She's not going to want to do either. <laughs> All right, I'm done with this. <laughs> I'm trying to get him to invest his money in something. I'm that not investing in a whorehouse. <laughs> How about Josh? You think Josh would invest into a whorehouse? Uh, I'll give it a 30% chance. I, I would give it a 70% chance he would. I mean, are you kidding me? If Josh knew that if he was investing $20 million into a whorehouse and he's going to make him double the amount of money, there's no question he's going to invest it into it. You, on the other hand, is just afraid because it's a whorehouse that you would look bad. But you're not looking bad. I am not portraying myself like that. Portray yourself as what? Nobody has to know that you own it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, because that's going to work in a digital social media era where things leak all the time. And who yeah, cares okay. if they know? All right, so then I have to be part of some cover-up. Yeah, okay, I'm not uh, doing Carl that Carl says either. he would tell Josh Mazel Tov, and I think, I, think, I think Josh would agree, too. I think Josh would absolutely be an A-plus owner of a whorehouse, and I think you would be great. I no, mean, I the face of the organization, you'd be like a, a sign with, come to Petey's, where the endings end in his lap. What do you think? No. What do you mean, no? Terrible. That's, that's horrible. That's a horrible saying. I would not want to be a part. No, I'm not saying it's a bad slogan. I'm saying it would be a bad idea for me. I'm right, not that person. All right, so you bring Josh Carl. might be that person. All Carl right. might be that person. All right, so if Carl bring... wins $58 million, have at it, Carl. <laughs> He's going to bring you in as a partner. I'm not going into anything. Uh, uh, well. Uh, it's I, your lottery winnings. You do what you want. But he wants to bring you in as a partner. I know. You're going to give up. So. Carl wins the money, and he brings you in as a silent partner, and you don't have to put anything down on it. You wouldn't take it? Oh, my God. 
You know damn well you would take it. 110%. First of all, you can't invest 110%. Second of all. All right. So Carl says that you can have the Robert Kraft special. Okay. Okay. Again, I mentioned this earlier. If Robert Kraft, Calvin Ridley, and anyone listening wins the lottery, they can do in that. that kind we'll of call thing. that. Including s- you, Carl. Uh, oh, well, where is he? I'm here. Where? Where the? Where is he? He says he's here. Um, Kenny, I sent you an email earlier. Come into that email. Uh, whatever. Sent you a email, Kenny. For the link, you can come right into the video feed, and the sooner the better, because this conversation is getting going nowhere and going in circles. Carl says, Speedy has established that many times. He isn't going into anything. Yes, I know that. That's what I said. I don't care enough about an extra whatever million if I have 58 million. I'm not <laughs> any one of these like greedy people that have to do that. Um, I would take any kind of money that is given to me, and I would make it and double it, so if... I can make money off a whorehouse. I'm doing it. All right. Enjoy. So you're going to have to do the same. I'm not doing that. I would not enjoy it to the same level you or Josh or Carl. Why would I enjoy it? I'm, I'm enjoying the money. I'm not enjoying Okay. It. Enjoy the money. Enjoy the whorehouse. Whatever. I don't <laughs> what, Enjoy whatever you want to enjoy. I want you to enjoy it with me. I'm not going to enjoy it. So you're not going to want to... I know I would not enjoy that kind of you thing. You don't like looking at women? Not like that. Uh, why not? Because I don't need to be invested into that as a lifestyle. A uh, lifestyle? It's a one If day. I'm investing in it, that's what it would be. <laughs> you don't have to live in that state to be invested into it. I'm still affiliated. So what? I'm affiliated too, so. Okay, you enjoy it then. Uh, Carl's married. He didn't invest Okay, in that's fine. I, I think Jeff would invest into it. All right. Then why aren't you talking to them about it if you really care that much? Vince Scully died today. Oh, my God. Damn. Um, Wow. Jeff, um, thank you, Jeff. For Jeff announced that. that Vince Scully, uh, the voice of Dodgers baseball, wow, um, ninety-four years old. Uh, he he actually retired as an announcer two years ago. Yes, he did, and um, did it for what 60 sixty-seven years, years. Yeah, almost seventy years. Um, and I remember on the baseball games. The baseball games, I what was it? MLB, the show, was it? Was he? The, uh, I forget if it was that or 2K Baseball or some one of the other variations. He was the voice, yeah, you know, it was the voice. Because the they, they they always kept rotating them, but yeah, he he did some he did some voiceovers for that too. He did obviously radio. He did pre TV stuff too. He all the way back to the 1950s, mm-hmm. 67 years, an absolute broadcasting icon, and 94 years old. Has uh, has passed away. Jordan uh, Montgomery, by the way, they're interviewing him before the uh, before when he found out the trade before the game tonight, and he looks very upset. Looks very upset. Makes sense, yeah. When you're leaving a sixty whatever or seventy whatever win team that the Yankees are, it's going to a Cardinal sense. team that's a very good organization. Cardinals are a good team, but they're not what the Yankees are this year. Yeah, well, but you know, you win some, you lose some. Mm-hmm. You know, but, just as much as you would win oh some and lose some at a whorehouse. But I, I just want to say uh, this article. Of the, Where the back, hell is Kenny, man? Where the know. hell is this? I told you. He's, he's going to jump in at any random time if he comes on. But I, I, I was telling Snug, too. He's like, oh, do you have any special walk-up music for Kenny? I don't even know if Kenny's going to come on. Kenny calls at the most random times when he did call, too. So it's tough to tell if he's even going to come on. Uh, Jeff says, why does God take amazing people like Vince Scully but leave people like the Beef? The world works in mysterious ways. Yeah. What's wrong with the Beef, man? The Beef is a good man. But yeah, Vince so Scully, Scully. Vince Scully was definitely one that touched the Dodgers community, both in Brooklyn and in LA too. Remember, he broadcasted in both places. 
and 1950s when Jackie Robinson was there. Uh, John Sandy Koufax, when he first started up in L.A., so, so definitely more than just a broadcaster, too, but he's also, according to this article, the longest-tenured broadcaster for any sport in the world, in sports history, so, any sport. So, Kenny's excuse, tonight is no good. I have no headphones or earbuds. Yeah. My mic only works with either. Okay, well, then get some headphones, Kenny. Get some headphones. Now, we had this plan. Thank you, Kenny, for telling us in the last minute with 18 minutes of our show. Yeah, well, Snug is going to be very disappointed in you, Kenny. Um, He's been looking forward to this for the last two years. You know, it's, it's, a, sad, it's a sad state of mind. He does owe me a Thanksgiving dinner. Oh, yeah, mind. from four years ago. <laughs> and he says, I'm getting them tomorrow. Why would you get them tomorrow when you know you were supposed to come on the show tonight? Does that make any sense to you, Kenny? What are you smoking? Carl, <laughs> Carl says, go to the bullpen and call up Nithin. Well, Nithin probably isn't at the bullpen. Nithin's probably at some, like, lacrosse game or something like that. Actually, no, it's probably too late for that now, but I don't know. Would, would Nithin be in a bullpen? Not tough to tell. Mm. Interesting that uh, Kenny decided for a no-show tonight because he forgot to get himself earbuds. All right, Kenny. Get yourself earbuds. You can come on on Thursday. Wow, Carl taking shots at Nith. I mean, he. I mean, of course, he's been doing that. He's been doing that since the first time. Nithin I came mean, he on does a lot year. of crazy interviews. I will say that. I mean, he goes to these freaking. You know, he's trying to get his foot in the door as a, as a, I guess. Um, <laughs> what do they call him? Um, Carl says, or Jeff says, interviewer, uh, uh, interview, interviewee. I guess I don't know. Uh, uh, Carl says, Nithin is literally in a women's softball bullpen. Yeah, I would. Oh, he still he works for the. He also does stuff with the Scranton Yankees too. The okay. Trenton Yankees. Trenton Yankees. Yeah. Yeah. So he he works. He does that too. Uh, I mean, he doesn't both. Uh, you know, I don't know with Nithin. Jeff uh, Jeff says the Beeb is a good man. Fact checked. Ha ha. I mean, and, uh, and he, he calls his 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 network the Nith, the NR Hour. It's after him. Nithin R- R- Ramachandra. R- Ramachandra. He he, call, he 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 likes to blow his you know his head up. Well, but, of course. Uh, Jeff says Carl Carl he's stalking that uh, that idiot quarterback. Yes, Brown. he volunteers. You're right, Carl. He does. I don't know if he gets paid. Maybe he does get paid. I don't know. I don't know. He gets paid for. Um, I remember. Uh, what was it? Fan. What's that? Fan sided. Fan sided. So I, you know, Nithin told me that he got a job with Fan sided, and um, he wrote a, a letter. You know, he wrote an article about the Seattle Seahawks. Uh, they liked it, and they hired him as a writer, which he's getting paid for. So he says you should do it. So I wrote, and I wrote a giant story. Remember the giant story? I yes. Wrote? And and Speedy read, wrote read it, and he thought it was very very funny. <laughs> Dave Gettleman the Grinch. Yeah. It was very funny, and and had a lot of personality to it. And they didn't accept the article, and they would not take me in as a writer for Fansided. But they took Nithin, and I was like, I've I've read Nithin stories, and I'm not putting Nithin down at all. I love Nithin very very much. My story was a lot more amusing than the story that he he was putting out. He the couple of stories he put out for Seattle. So I wasn't very happy with fan sided as an organization. How dare they get how dare they reject the Dave Gettleman Grinch story like that? Uh, it was a great story. It was a great too. story. I, I remember reading it. It was very, very funny and uh, I thought it worked out. A lot of the things that I said, I just I just think it's it's pathetic, you know? I, 
But again, that's the way, you know, that's the way the cookie crumbles, I guess. I mean, it, it falls. Yeah, Dave Gettleman will definitely be eating a bunch of cookies, knowing that. Uh, Carl says he is definitely robbing something Robin Tundra. <laughs> yeah, who knows? Maybe that, at this point he might. Maybe he's robbing some woman's underwear. I don't know. He probably is. You know what's so funny? When Nathan reaches out to me, we talk and everything, he makes a joke and he says, is there any hot ladies at your job that you've seen today? I was like, dude, I work at a hospital. I mean, of course. I mean. I, and even if I did, you're never going to meet him because you live all the way in New Jersey. So what does it matter? Mm-hmm. By the way, Jeff has been calling back. Oh, Jeff is back, ladies and gentlemen. I, I wanted to wish you guys a very, very happy uh, uh, holiday. We're three Saturdays from college football. Yes. Mm-hmm. I know you're excited about that. Super excited. Money making. My, uh, oh, dude, I, I have built my account up to a nice number. Where I'm going to hammer college football this year, hammer. You have any bets already for like future or he told week you. ones? Well, the Mets, the I know Mets you had the Texas A&M one. He also has Boston, Boston College or Boston University, right? It's Boston. No, Boston. Boston College is going to be one of the top teams in the ACC in the this ACC. year. You okay. watch. All right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're going to be good this year. Yeah, I know. I know you were. I know you were liking their quarterback. You were talking about it. We were talking about the Phil draft. Yeah. Phil Yerkovic. Yep, they got they got some good players still left there. They got a good coach in Jeff Hafley, and the ACC is a little weak. Yeah, no, it's it's been it's been weak. Uh, for Carl says, for a while. Jeff, where do I lay the I money? I want to hear about Hawaii Michigan. or Vandy. What 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 was the question? Where do I lay the money, Hawaii or Vandy, this year? Maybe he's what, thinking for week one. I think it's for game. week one. <clears throat> game is in Hawaii. Week or week yeah, zero? Did, I don't know, sir. Yeah, yeah. It, uh, for that game, honestly, there's nothing really. I normally my rule would be always bet the SEC. Not in this game. I'm. I <laughs> think I'm probably going to take Hawaii in that game. Mm. Vanderbilt's bad. Oh yeah, of course. <laughs> Vanderbilt in the but, SEC because of baseball, not football. <laughs> Vanderbilt lost to Connecticut last year. No, they, they no, won they that lose. game. I think it was like a oh, battle of the winless. Late. They scored a late touchdown. Yeah, they got yeah. like a winning field goal. I remember that. They were, they were like two winless teams. It was funny. Yeah, it was horrible. It was, and first of all, they had to do it with like time expiring. I think. Yeah, I, game I winning field goal. Connecticut yeah. had the lead with like a minute left or something like that, didn't they? It was tied. I think. They, I think they had the lead with like three minutes left, though. The Vanderbilt tied it, and then they won it uh, <laughs> on a game winning field goal. But yeah, and I only and I only remember that game because I put five hundred bucks on Vanderbilt because I was looking at like Connecticut and Connecticut got like plowed over by fresno state right and like all these nobody schools and i was like dude they're playing an sec school i don't care how bad the sec school is they're still playing an sec school and uh, connecticut almost won so vanderbilt does not inspire any kind of confidence within me i'll probably end up taking hawaii because at the end of the day Hawaii's still Hawaii. They chuck the ball around and they'll yeah. probably score some points. Yeah, they they have some good, they have some like random thrilling wins too all the time. Like they always have one game. Like mm-hmm. whether it's a Pac-12 team or that win they had against Purdue, where that uh, where the backup kicker with the leg injury made that long field goal. That was a. Um, they always have like one random win like that. But yeah, it looks like it's August twenty seventh, so it looks like it's probably a week zero type of game. It's at t- it's at ten thirty in Hawaii at Hawaii. So I'll yeah. I'll be staying up, friend. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, so I, a, I got a, a question. I got a question before we let you go again. Um, would you, inv- if you won fifty million dollars, would you invest into a whorehouse? Yes or no? In Vegas. Uh, in Vegas. Well, did you know technically? Uh, well, no, because in Vegas they're illegal. They're illegal. 
Yes, they are in Vegas. They are illegal. All right. Where, where to, are they not? You need to go. You need to go to the surrounding county. What what county is that called? Um, shit. What what county is that called? It's a different county in Vegas. So that a lot of people don't realize that in Vegas, it's actually illegal in Vegas. You got to go to Pahrumpf, Nevada, for it to be legal. Mm. I know so Kenny in Vegas. No, I wouldn't invest in that. I know Kenny is actually trying to call me on the phone and I'm going to tell Kenny you call up on Thursday. It's at the end of the show. I'm not putting Kenny through on the end of the show. I'm not doing it. Yeah. Snug. You're going to have to wait until Thursday if he actually shows up. So, and I, Snug's I, a good man. I like snug. Oh my Very God. He's, he's texting me all day. Oh, I can't wait for Kenny to come on. I say, if Kenny comes on, there is always a big, I F. will make sure he comes on on Thursday. <laughs> I definitely will make yeah. sure that he comes on. He owes yeah, us a four-year-old uh, Thanksgiving dinner from 2018. Mm. Still hasn't come through on that. Well, that's because his father called me. I don't know if I still me. want that dinner. Is it just been still sitting out? Like, is it? No, 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 no. It's not actually four years old. I, Jeff, I wouldn't be surprised if Kenny actually thought that well, way a while ago. Well, but. well, hold on one second. His father actually wanted to come out. He called me up, and he says, are you guys really going to be there? Are you really going to have, you know, 12 guys? He says, we're going to come down, and we're going we're gonna to buy you guys dinner. And... And I said, uh, I, we'll have to make it another time. And I never re, re his father really was going to bring Kenny out and, and, and for him to, to, you know, pay a bet that he lost. But um, it never happened. But Kenny keeps telling me he wants to do it. So we'll get Kenny out here this year. He doesn't have to take all of us because it's limited amount of us. But me and Speedy will take us. Well, yeah, originally it was supposed to be like the whole third and long, long people, There's all five like of us at the time. Five or six of us. Yeah. At, at that time, yeah, because uh, Carl was still there, Maddie Caps, and Vinny, and somebody else, I think. Mm. Maddie Caps, that guy still owes me so many drinks. Oh, does he? Yeah, that's right. All oh, your college God. football bets, that's right. Oh, my God, I drilled him. I drilled know. him. Every, every time he would pick a team, I'd go, that's not going to happen, and he would lose every time. I remember the first. Every- I remember the first year I was here. I the two be- the bets you guys made. Like you, like he would always bet against Oklahoma. That one uh, tw- what was it twenty seventeen, and then especially when they beat Ohio State that year, you were giving. It he to had him. like some kind of infatuation with Sam Darnold. Like he. Oh, he loves Sam Darnold. I'll tell you the one I really hammered it on. On the one I, re- if you remember, Mason Rudolph was the quarterback at Oklahoma, Oklahoma State, State and yep. they were and they were rolling, mm-hmm. and he was like, "Oh, well, they're gonna beat up." TCU, I was like, that's not going to happen. TCU is going to win. Mm-hmm. He's like, what? The Oklahoma State's a 24-point favorite. I was like, yeah, they're going to lose. Mm-hmm. Like, outright. I don't even want the points. TCU, the only team in the Big 12 with, actual, with an actual defense. <laughs> right, yeah, no, they were. It's hit or miss with them. They, it's like they take two years off, and then they're good for a year. And then I know. Two years mm-hmm. off. They're, it's a weird the thing. Fr- the, they were great in 2011, when Andy Dal- or 2010, when Andy Dalton was still there. Then they were, you're right, they were down for a little bit after that. Then the first year of the college football playoff, they were one of the first teams out. I think they finished like seven or eight. Carl actually says that guy owes us all on bets. Talking about yeah. Matty Caps. <laughs> I, I, actually, I actually have a theory on this, Speedy. And a lot of people will uh, hate me for this theory because they get super sensitive about this issue. But I, I feel like it's true. Uh, religious schools can't be good, right? TCU's Texas Christian. That's what they are. Right. No one, no one, no one wants to mix God in with your football, right? Like uh, SMU, Southern Methodist. They right. make you take like Bible study classes yep. and things like that. That's why you're never any good, right? Like. Mm-hmm. Like football is the religion. People want to go to Texas A&M because you don't really need to read, right? <laughs> yeah. Like, uh-huh. right? Like you go to Texas because you you, you can't spell Texas, 
right? <laughs> like that's that's what happens. So like you get into like these religious schools and things, it, it just it doesn't work really. And the, and the one that claims they're good at football in Notre Dame, a Catholic school, the, always loses big games. Dude, they have ruined more college football playoff games yeah. than almost any other team. The only other team I can think of that has ruined more college football playoff games is Oklahoma. Good. Oklahoma fans on Twitter are obnoxious. They don't deserve it. Well, that's not worse than Michigan fans. Have you seen I don't know. Michigan I've had a lot, of bad, I've had a lot of bad ones with Oklahoma fans. They, yeah, think, Oklahoma. They, think they, they always think they're the greatest team. Meanwhile, their defense is always horrible up until last year. And then last year, their offense was horrible. So made up for it. But, but that's what happens. People forget football is a team sport. And like just because you know, you're in a division that doesn't play defense and it's all 50-something or 60-something or whatever, right? Uh, it's not going to be that way when you play like those Georgia Bulldogs. You know what I'm saying? Like right. a team that can play defense. Mm-hmm. You know, like like think about this, right? Teams and fans of the schools think they're good until they play a team that's actually good. Mm-hmm. I'll give you the perfect example. How obnoxious were Michigan fans last year? <laughs> How obnoxious were they? Yeah. Okay. Oh, great! You beat Nebraska. Good for you. You beat Nebraska. Oh, you played Rutgers? Congratulations, you played Rutgers. Guess what? You only managed to kick a field goal against Georgia. Mm-hmm. You think you're good until you play someone that's actually good. So these Big Ten schools, and this is another thing that's funny about the expansion. These Big Ten schools, what did they do? They brought in UCLA, who's dog shit, and USC, who's pretty much dog shit, right? And then, oh, our conference is going to be so good. No, you brought two warm weather schools into a cold weather conference and you'll probably steamroll them half the time when you play them at home. Yeah, I was skeptical about that to begin with, too, with those two schools. And you're going back to what you were saying with the Big 12, too. It's not even like their like schemes are overly sophisticated either. And that eats them up against other good schematic teams. Like that was another another thing I was critical about with Oklahoma and, and why it's so easy to tell when they get blown out. Because you could get away with having all those like 500 yardage games in the Big 12 what? when your scheme isn't overly great. That's why I'm a little worried about Lincoln Riley too and USC now especially going to the Big Ten well I think people also recruit their scheme right here's another problem to recruit extent, yeah. their scheme. Uh-huh. right so when you're a Big 12 school what do you want in Big 12 defenders you want fast guys you uh-huh. want cornerbacks you want safeties you want you want fast dudes sure fast dudes all weigh 150 pounds that's what they weigh, 150, 160, 170. They're right. in the hundreds. Especially, None of them are 200. Right, especially the corners. It seems like they always have undersized corners in the Big right. 12. You're fast, yeah. you're fast, and you're light. That's what you are. So when you recruit all these fast, light guys, because that's what you're playing against, because Oklahoma's going to play Oklahoma State, and they're run and gun, and Texas A&M's the same way, and Baylor's the same way. And you have all these really small, quick dudes. That's all great in conference until you play guys in the SEC who are all 300 pounds. Mm. What happens when the 300 pound guy blocks the 180 pound guy who wins? Yep. So this is why they're not any good. They they're recruiting their style. Their style isn't a winning style outside of their conference. And that's why you have 50, 40 point bedlam bowls and blowouts in the college football playoff. Right. It's the same reason why Michigan always thinks that they're good and they're not. It's because they, they, you know, Harbaugh especially, he plays a cold weather game. He plays a running right. game. And that's yeah. great when you have Blake Corum and, and uh, that other kid, Haskins, Haskins. yeah. Right, right, who's both very good, both very talented. I get it. But when you get down a couple of points, you have to throw the football. 
and they I can't remember the last time Michigan had a quarterback. Yeah, and was it Tom? Was it was it Drew Henson? Was it Tom Brady? Chad Henney probably was the last good one. I would say in college football at least. And so and so, how long ago was Chad Henney? Can we say? Oh six, oh six, yeah, oh six, oh seven. I think were his last right. two years. Right, and what and and so what happened last year when Michigan played Georgia? They, they, just, they, they they found out they couldn't run the ball because they weren't they weren't the bully anymore. They weren't playing Nebraska, and they figured <laughs> out they had to try to throw the football. And guess what? They had two limp dicks trying to throw the football. Yeah, that'll do, guys. That'll do. That'll do it for sure. But also, I think Michigan. Going back to them though, too, they're kind of outdated at this point. Like even in some of the Big Ten schools are starting to evolve into more of a passing game too. And Michigan, it, no. It, it's exactly the reason why I said before, and Errol may remember this: no NFL team should hire Jim Harbaugh. You shouldn't do it because this is what he does. He, it was this same style that he had at Stanford. It was this same style that got him run out of San Francisco. And now he's doing it again in Michigan. And he's not winning anywhere with it. He hasn't – Jim Harbaugh hasn't evolved with the game of football. Right. Uh-huh. Now, are you and for a guy that used to be an NFL quarterback, he's pretty terrible at recruiting and teaching quarterbacks. Uh-huh. Well, Jeff, we really appreciate you, man. I appreciate you guys. I'm excited for college football and watching Michigan lose to Ohio State. One question. I just want to tell you, Justin Bieber is now on tour again, so get your tickets. <laughs> Couldn't give two flying shits about a Justin Bieber. Okay. Couldn't care. In fact, if you listen to Justin Bieber's music, let's not be friends. <laughs> let's not be friends. I don't want to be friends with anybody who listens to Bieber or Nickelback. <laughs> okay. I, I can add some more to the list. I'm sure that there's more artists out there that as soon as you say it, I'm going to be like, oh, yeah, kill those people. <laughs> Pat <You know>? Benatar? <laughs> I like Pat, Pat Benatar. Hit me with your best shot, right? That can be a fun one sometimes. Hit me with your best shot, right? Like, that's a, great, that's a good little song you can sometimes. Use, you can use that in your whorehouse. I mean, well, it won't be in, the, it won't be in, uh, in Vegas. That's a bad business plan. It's not legal in Vegas. Uh, there you people go, don't speedy. realize that. There you go, Speedy. I'll tell you, I'll tell you a fun loophole uh, in a law because I have a buddy. Where am I from? Rhode Island. Did you know prostitution is legal in Rhode Island? No. Indoors. <laughs> you got to be indoors. Mm. You can't be a streetwalker. Speedy would be our streetwalker. Right, Speedy? Oh, God. I told you I'm not getting involved in this. <laughs> we've, we've seen Speedy in the dress. No one's pulling over to pull, pick him up. <laughs> Thank you, Jeff. Oh, man. the beef. <laughs> That's it, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, thank you to um, Sports Illustrated, all Dolphins publisher, Alan Pupar, for joining us. He was fantastic. Thank you to Darren Bennett, ex-former uh, Charger and Vikings punter. Fantastic personality, fantastic interview. He really was great. The stories that he told us. Oh, yeah, fantastic. fantastic. Definitely a great interview. Um, uh, We'll be back Thursday, 9 p.m. Stay tuned. Uh, Remember, Speedy will be possibly involved in Whorehouse. Don't listen to him. It would be great. It's a great investment with Speedster. What do you mean terrible? I would not want to invest in that. It's a great investment. Congratulations. You You win the lottery, you can do it. We'll both do it together. I'm not doing it. You're doing it together no. with me. You are going to be my partner. No, I'm not. You are going to be the face of my whorehouse. Absolutely not. Yes, you are. The face. I'm going to have a picture of you and no. a cartoon character, 
and you smiling, absolutely not. with a, a movable hand out oh there. God. You know, <sighs> tell Josh to be less bitter. Well, he won't be because I told you. The Mets are life for him, and the Mets are going down. Anyways, uh, that's it. Uh, and if the Mets do win, uh, Speedy will be getting a tattoo. That's right. Um, that is it. We will talk to you Thursday. Good night. It is the Worldwide Sports Radio Network.